On this episode, we discuss Sicilian Vampire. Surgeon General's warning. Sicilian Vampire breaks down into roughly 95% Sicilian, 5% Vampire. Mamma mia! Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Ooh-wee. I, I, I am Stuart Wellington. And over here, it's Elliot Kalen. Dan, what do we do on this podcast? Uh, oh, wow. Jumping right in. This is a podcast. Dan, this yeah. movie that we are about to talk about is so nutso that yeah. I kind of don't want to waste time on our usual bullshit where we're just like, squawkity squawk, deedly doc. Here, let's talk about whatever. And Stuart's like, hey, dudes, this thing happened. And Dan, you're like, wop, wop, wop. And I'm like, hey, guys, what? Uh, but then here's a word that sounds like another word, and here's a tangent. And then Stuart's like, yeah, dude, that's pretty cool. And Dan's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, hey, guys, let's do this other thing. And then Stuart's like, hey, what about this? And Dan's like, let's get started already. And I'm like, no, 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 here's a distraction already. And Stuart's like, yeah, let's keep making fun of Dan. And Dan's like, stop it, guys, I don't like that. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's pretty funny, but I guess we should stop. Anyway, Dan, what do we do on the podcast? Yeah, you got so, it to a T. talking about something else, and then Dan, you start. So I don't even want to waste anybody's time. Let's just get right into the show. Dan, what do we do on this <laughs> podcast? Okay, Dan, now cut that audio. That uh-huh. is our new ad that we're going to run on all other MaxFun <laughs> programs. <laughs> Uh, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And uh, it's September, guys, uh, which means that other than Ghost in the Shell, which was a mistake, uh, we talk about small movies. In so movies. many ways. In <laughs> yeah, so yeah. many ways. It's small timber. Uh, small Vember. Small yeah. Yeah, where we discuss movies that we... And vampire. <laughs> movies. Very accurate for this one. <laughs> Movies we normally wouldn't watch. Movies that normally fall beyond our purview. Wait, 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 guys. You said it's Smallvember. But when I look at the title of the movie, I'm thinking, isn't this more of a Shocktober movie? Oh, Oh, because it's got a vampire in it. You would be wrong. (laughs) There is a a paucity of shocks in this movie. Now, let's talk about the Smallvember purview. Now, normally on the show, we want to punch up. We don't want to punch down. You know why? Punching up is better for your shoulder muscles. Punching down is actually very hard on your knees. And so (laughs) we want to punch up to people who are, you know, big famous celebs making a lot of money. But every now and then we want to punch down at some dissolute, some uh, uh, misguided loser somewhere who decided to pour his own personal bucks into what he thought was going to be a great movie. And instead he doesn't know what he's doing. And it turns out to be Sicilian Vampire. Yeah. uh, Spoiler alert. It's not very good. Uh, and that so misguided guy in this case is Frank D'Angelo, who we previously encountered in Small Timber with no deposit. Now, this I want to announce right off the bat. This now, is, is is punching down hard on your knees because after doing it and getting busted, you have to fall to your knees in contrition and hope that people uh, don't get mad at you anymore? Exactly. And that falling to your knees can uh, is a lot of wear and tear because you're usually on cobblestones. Oh, wow. It really hurts. Hanging out in the historic district, I guess. But if you don't fall on your knees, you won't hear the angels' voices. So you got to do it, uh, according to the song. Now, Dan, this, I'm going to announce it right off the bat. Dan and Stu, 
this small vember is what I'm terming small vember all stars. Yeah. Or maybe small vember, <laughs> small of fame. Forget all stars. Let's call it no small stars. It's small. either small vember, small stars, or small vember, small of fame. Whichever one you want, they both work. Yeah, uh, listeners, write in with your favorite choice, and yeah. we'll tally up all the letters we receive, <laughs> and then we'll throw them in the trash. And it's taking place we'll in print your them favorite, out. It's and taking place away. in your favorite season. Small. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Smaltum. Smaltum instead of autumn. No. Anyway, here's the thing to remember about. Uh, so this week it's Frank D'Angelo, who we remember from No Deposit. We shouldn't mention who the other small vember small star is. That'll I be think people can guess, but uh, people we'll can keep guess a that it's the most brilliant maker of weird garbage there ever was. But, yeah. <laughs> wow. But this time we're stuck with Frank D'Angelo. Now, for anyone who didn't listen to No Deposit, Dan Stewart, how would you describe Frank D'Angelo? Other than that, he's a super successful Toronto-based beverage magnate. He's a Canadian mafioso wannabe, uh, quadruple threat. Yeah. He writes, he directs, he stars, and he sings. Uh, yeah, it feels like every movie is a delivery system for a hot new soundtrack full of covers by Frank D'Angelo. I feel like Frank D'Angelo is like, he's like the low-budget answer, the Canadian answer to Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, like, <laughs> okay. Like Seth MacFarlane has multiple television shows and movies, and it's all just to make it so that he can get audiences in to hear him sing standards. Yeah. Big, like, music shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as Stuart pointed out, uh, he usually mixes the songs louder than his own dialogue. <laughs> but I would call them competing soundtracks. Well, the exciting thing about No Deposit the uh, was that, wasn't it that, that when you order the DVD, it comes and it's just a bonus disc that comes with the soundtrack <laughs> That's to No right. Deposit? Yeah. Because at heart, he's a singer. At heart, he's a wannabe gangster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like Seth... About him. I feel like Seth MacFarlane, like his whole career is this complicated plan so that he can host the Tonys. Oh yeah. I mean, he probably has hosted the Tonys. I don't actually pay enough attention to stuff, but I feel like everything he does. Oh, okay. Did he? I have, how have I forgotten that already? You remember he sang that song about actresses whose boobs he's. Oh yeah. That was horrible. Okay. Uh, so moving on, uh, now that we're done, uh, talking shit about people. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> this I, movie. Uh, that was what was weird was that was a sponsor spot for the Orville, which premieres tonight, Sunday, <laughs> September 10th on Fox. Uh, <laughs> hey guys, you ever wanted to see Star Trek and thought, I wish there were like a couple jokes scattered throughout the show. Mm-hmm. The Orville starring Seth MacFarlane on Fox. Do you want to see a funny version of Star Trek, but not as good as galaxy quest? Mm hmm. Do you want to see a movie that probably makes the pilot that I wrote uh, impossible to sell? Watch The Orville. Well, one, it's a TV show, not a movie. Yeah, No, no, the pilot. What? No, I know. I wrote that you Star Trek pilot. A, no, you ever want to see a movie? Oh, okay. Well, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> it's okay, Look, people Dan. Understand At least 50% saying. of your burn made it through Elliot's yeah, right. web of blocking. <laughs> that's true. Good point. Dan, Through the like, cheesecloth uh, that surrounds me. <laughs> Dan, I want the listeners to create a family crest for you, and in Latin, the, lo- the slogan is, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. I didn't want to waste any time, but we've wasted it. Let's talk about Sicilian Vampire. Yeah. Starring, directed, written by, and music by, and produced by Frank D'Angelo, which literally means Frank of the Angels. Uh-huh. Does he sing like an angel? You better believe it. What a set of golden pipes. 
but that's not what we hear right away. I, I like there's I wanted like my notes for this movie, even though almost nothing happens in it, are very extensive. So let's get in there. This could be a long episode. Okay? So okay. I'm Everybody. assuming first we're going to talk about the poster for the movie that has some kind of weird image on it that every time I look at it. It gives me a headache, and I start getting nauseous. <laughs> we'll get to that because it's the logo that comes up. It's weird that the logo for the movie has Frank D'Angelo's face in it, and it also has like a triple tri- – one of those Triskelion running leg symbols like the Isle of Man's mm-hmm. uh, flag, I think it is. And it has none of that – that never makes sense. It's just he wanted something that looked vaguely spooky, I guess. It looks like the description of a demon that you would read in, like, part of the Bible that you forgot about. And you're like, wait, that's supposed to be scary? It's a frog with a crown on it and then a pair of <laughs> – four pairs of bird wings instead of legs? That sounds adorable. Yeah. I want to like that guy. <laughs> okay, so – Let's start from the very beginning, by which I mean the production logo. We open with uh, the production logo for his company, In Your Ear Productions, which is like kind of cheap-looking CGI fireworks <laughs> over a city. I like how that uh, sounds like an insult. It's like, in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> in your ear. Well, it's, it, it feels like he is pouring the movie into your ear against your will, like you're strapped to a chair. Yeah. And the, the movie is like his pee or something. I don't know. He's pouring into your ear. It's gross. Then we go to a cemetery. There's a voiceover from Frank D'Angelo in his mobster voice about how life is all about timing. Life can change in a moment. And he's Sicilian, and family is the most important thing to him. And there's this soulful choral music (laughs) as he, in slow motion, walks into frame and sits on a tombstone. And he tells us, hey, I'm going to tell you a story. You judge for yourself if it's true. And then, bam, strobe effect. And then he goes, I don't want nobody to think I'm crazy. And then you cut to the title, which, again, has his face in the logo, which is crazy. Even Indiana Jones's face is not in the logos for his movies. Like, can you think of a single logo that has the star's face in it? That's crazy. Ultraman, maybe. Yeah, I'm, the Phantom. I don't know. Yeah, maybe the well, uh, or like the mask. Like these are all characters with like character faces. It's not just a dude's face. Like uh, like anyway. Jason Voorhees, basically. Jason would be in a Friday yes. the Thirteenth movie. Exactly. It's the, the bad guy's face is usually in the logo. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, but is there a Jason Voorhees in this movie? No. No. Wait. Uh, no, the, maybe. But there, James Conn's <laughs> in it. <laughs> there is a, are a ton of stars. James Conn, Daryl Hannah, Paul Sorvino, Robert Loja, uh, <laughs> Robert Davi. Everyone's in this movie. Uh, Eric Roberts. Two, uh, Eric Roberts, Daniel Baldwin. Uh, Michael Pare, yeah, oh, Armand Desante, all of the people <laughs> yeah. that you remember from having uh, second billing roles in the '90s are here. Uh, Armand Desante was the star of Fatal Instinct. <laughs> Armand Desante was the star of the TV Odyssey uh, thing. All right, remember oh, yeah, he remember played that. Odysseus, dude. Yeah, yeah. Come on, the greatest hero in Greek, whatever. The smartest guy <laughs> who pretended to be an old guy so he could kill a bunch of guys who were trying to sleep with his wife. Yeah, with his super tough bow and arrow. Yep. All right. Thanks for recapping Greek <laughs> stories to me. The man so brilliant that when a cyclops asked him who he was, he said, uh, nobody, and then left. <laughs> what, a, what a brilliant con artist. Anyway, uh, we cut to, it's the New York skyline, and what song is playing? I'm just a gigolo. Get used to this song because you are going to hear it 70,000 times throughout the episode. 
Uh, and on the on the titles, you see the credits with what can I, I can only call a parade of big names who should have known better. Many of the cast members of No Deposit also make an appearance in this yeah. film. Like, uh, uh, is that guy Art Art Hindle? Art Hinkle? The guy Art who, uh, yeah, the guy the guy who made the proclamation in No Deposit. I gave up my brother for pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, and meanwhile, and there's three guys who are just in a car driving along, singing along to I'm Just a Gigolo. There's, uh, who are the guys? There's Armando Sante. There's what? Michael Pare. And then this other guy. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, Some guy who's like the, uh, like the jerk of the group. Like the, the Weasley guy. He's like the, he's the little Weasley guy with glasses who nobody likes, but I don't know why they hang out with him. But these are the guys, you know? These are Frank D'Angelo's boys. Anyway, they're singing along to I'm Just a Gigolo for a long time. They yell at the Weasley guy. They say, you can't sing. And then we cut to a Frank D'Angelo trademark. Frank D'Angelo waking up in bed next to a woman and then immediately arguing with her. Uh, It's his his wife, Carmelina, played by Daryl Hannah. uh, (laughs) In a dark wig to make her Italian. in a ridic- it's like she's playing what Daryl Hannah's character, if I had to describe her, and I will, would I would call like it's like the real Housewives of Long Island Adams family edition. <laughs> like, if Morticia Adams was a real housewife on TV, like this would be Daryl Hannah's character. And all she does all movie is cook food for Frank and talk to him about food. <laughs> Long lists of Italian foods. Like she, it's it's like she just starts reading a menu to him throughout the movie at different points. And, and she does movie. almost all of it while looking at the ground or with the wig completely covering her eyes. She is very much trying to hide the fact that she's in this movie, as opposed to Paul Sorvino, who shows up later shirtless <laughs> eating a steak <laughs> with a little hat on. Uh, but anyway, we'll get to him. Uh, Frank D'Angelo <laughs> picks up an already poured glass of whiskey from his bedside table. That's right. I guess he poured it before he went to bed, knowing he'd need a little pick-me-up. You mean that bottle of Johnny Walker Blue that is in so many shots, and I guarantee you is the only bottle they had, and they just kept moving <laughs> yeah. it from scene to scene and refilling it with, it, I'm guessing, iced tea? Yeah. It has to be. Uh, he's going up to, uh, it seems, uh, Frank, whose character's name is Santino, or Sonny, which you may remember as the name of James Caan's character from The Godfather, and that's where the similarities end. <laughs> uh, he's going up for his annual trip to the cabin with the boys, and uh, they have this weird. He has this weird conversation with his wife where she acts as if she's flirting with him, but his responses are all genuinely mean. Like he's just really mean to her. She's yeah. like, she's like, oh, don't get too, don't get too wild up at the cabin. And he's like, babe, hey. Lay off, okay? I gotta do this every year. It's the only way I blow off steam. I need this, okay? Oh, well, you know, just be sure to come back. Hey, hey. Like, he's really, like, Ooh. the tones are so mismatched. That's, he's so- that's the way he behaves saying? all through the movie. Like, I for a guy who is clearly so egotistical that he's like, I have to do everything on my film, he's written himself a part that makes him look like the biggest asshole in the world. Like, we'll get to the like him up at the cabin with his friends, but... It's one of these situations where you're like, why do these people hang out with each other? Like, none of them seem to like one another at all. I mean, they're co-workers, right? They're co-workers <laughs> in the mob, I guess. If you can call them that, co-workers. He's, they clearly work for him. They're like his yeah. guys that, that like he's super close to. They're the uh, the Michael Imperioli to his Tony, to his uh, James Gandolfini. So they're the rel- related? They're all related? No, I guess that's not right. No, it's more like they're like the Polly Walnuts and the uh, Steve Van Zant. Oh, okay. Uh, to his James Gandolfini. So like, dripping you know, with charisma is what you're saying. Dripping with charisma, a real sex symbol. 
And uh, but yeah, they're devoted to him, and everybody loves him. Everyone in the movie loves him, but he's just a jackass. To everybody, mm-hmm. and it's like in No Deposit, he's like a gangster who is—he's not really a gangster, but he's the greatest saint in the world, and everybody loves him. Here, everybody still loves him, but he's just a mean to everybody. Yeah. He's just abusive to everyone. Um, but anyway, uh, we then get a nice. He's nice to his. Fr- he's nice to his daughter. That's true. He's got a real connection with his daughter. <clears throat> a real. Tony Soprano, Meadow Soprano connection. If you will. <laughs> uh, we get a nice long shot of Frank's back as he tries to have his morning pee and is blocked <laughs> up for some reason. Yeah, and he's he, gone two the, taps to pee. And the the great thing about that shot is we're still in the title cards, and that's when we get the Frank D'Angelo title card is while <laughs> he's pissing. <laughs> and of course, he it's, makes his name last because it's like that mock humility. Yeah. It's, sure. Yeah. He's look. All these great players. He'll take. He he doesn't have to be. It's the, like in I mean, Citizen last, Kane, where like Orson Welles puts up his card last. He's like, and well, and Orson Welles as Kane. I mean, also the last card is usually like the that means you're the headliner. Like that's the best card. Yeah. Wait, so Orson Welles like, played Kane, the bad guy in Highlander Three. Yes, I thought that was Mario Van Peebles. And well, he's no, such no, a good Orson Welles. He's such a master of disguise, Orson Welles, that he can do anything. Okay. He did it in blackface. That's why Highlander 3 was so was so controversial. <laughs> oh, sure. Wasn't that like Highlander 3, The New Dimension or something like that? I think it's something like that. The, the Nude Dimension? I the gotta watch dimension. this movie. Which is which was a crazy dimension because Christopher Lambert, I don't know, or Christopher, Christopher Lambert, is like partially blind, so he couldn't really even enjoy the pleasures of the nude dimension. Yeah. But it would also allow him to resist its siren song, like Odysseus. <laughs> Yeah. You mean Armand DeSante? <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Uh, anyway, so he pees for a while. He has to run two faucets to pee. It's the only weakness we see from the character throughout the movie, this inability to pee once. Uh, cut back to his boys are still singing Gigolo in the car. Apparently this song, this cut of the song is 40 straight minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of vamping, and they are loving it. Uh, Santino, Frank D'Angelo, walks into his living room and his daughter is sleeping on the couch i could never quite figure out if the daughter had a bedroom or just slept on the couch uh he's getting ready to go to the cabin you know millennials nowadays dude millennials they they just don't want to buy their own homes they just can't you know they just want to live off mom and dad forever they just live off their yeah. lobster parents forever with their avocado toast and everything mm-hmm. oh they're ruining the economy with that avocado <laughs> toast somehow that i never quite understood <laughs> I remember there was a there was an article somewhere. What was it that was like? It was like this type of of beverage is dying because millennials aren't buying enough. I remember someone on Twitter being like, "I don't have to buy. Like, why do I have to buy that thing? I don't understand. Why is it my responsibility to keep this business alive?" Yeah, Come on. And, and it was Doctor Brown's Cell Ray Soda. I love Cell Ray Soda. <laughs> why millennials would you kill the thing I love? Are you uh, saying that this this generation that seems to have no economic power because they're living at home also are responsible for every economic travesty that befalls chain restaurants like Applebee's. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The, the generation that walked into the worst job market since what the forties, mm-hmm. uh, has, is to blame for not buying enough stuff, not, <laughs> not doing all the things that old people do. <clears throat> okay. Whew. Anyway, okay, we we bled we bled that venom out. Let's get back take to the that movie. Non millennials. <laughs> okay, uh, so Frank, I just want to mention he appears to be going up for this cabin trip in a leather shirt, and he makes sure to have a pistol <laughs> on him. 
His friends show up singing really loud. I got ba-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's the same song. They've just been listening to the same song on repeat like a bunch of toddlers. The same way that my son is like, hey, can we listen to the Frozen soundtrack 40 times in a row? Like that, That's these guys with that one song. When was the last time uh, you guys did that with a song? Uh, just, just listen, listen to, to it, it over, over and over uh-huh. again. Jeez. I think uh, there's a song by the band FFS, which is Franz Ferdinand and Sparks teamed up. Okay. They had a song called uh, So Desune that I listened to over and over again. Okay. So you're like, you're, you're just like these guys is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. And I would jump out of my car singing it at people. <laughs> and then they would wave guns at me. He gets really mad that they're being too loud and starts waving his gun around at them. And meanwhile, an old man across the street is watching them with binoculars from another car. And... Uh, <laughs> Frank, he like Are you are you calling says, Eric Roberts an old man? <laughs> Eric Roberts has not shown up yet. This is Eric Roberts' partner. Okay. Uh, they couldn't get Eric Roberts for this day of the shoot, I guess. Uh Frank, he starts he jokes with his friends by waving a gun at them and he's like, Hey, Weasley guy, go ride in the trunk. What? What? What's what's Sonny? Go ride in the trunk. Look, you can either arrive at the cabin in the trunk alive, or you can be dead right now. And then the guy starts climbing in the trunk, frightened, and Frank's like Come on, eh, come on, just busting your balls. Eh, I'm not going to kill on, you in my, my driveway in this Toronto suburb. <laughs> that I'm going to say is, what, Long Island? I yeah, don't it's got to be Long Island, right? Bay Ridge. But, uh, they, but like, uh, this, it really sets the tone for how he interacts with his friends, which is that he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And his friends, you know, have to deal with it. Cut two. We're introduced to Paul Sorvino. In a bathrobe, deserted <laughs> strip club, and Paul Sorvino. Well, you call it a strip mad. club, but it's one of these movie strip clubs where the women are just sort of undulating in underwear, and they never yeah. actually get naked. And, and it appears to it all seems to be, be super one- popular. I mean, it's packed, but it's just also it's one room that clearly had like glitter curtains put up yeah. to hide the walls. Yeah, it looks like like the small side room of a uh, like a midwestern convention center. Yeah, it, they rented out an airport chapel for one day <laughs> and turned it into the most chaste strip club, which I can, is like I can a only, go-go club. I can only assume it's like an unused storage room for the Forget About It Supper Club owned by Frank D'Angelo in Toronto. Yeah. Well, you know, he's a businessman. He has to maximize all his <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, might That's as well pay it. Might as well pay himself for the uh, yeah. for the location fees. That's what the that's what the old studios used to do all the time. Is that if uh, the producer who was making a movie, or even if the studio was making the movie, they would charge themselves for the use of the studio, for the use of the actual soundstage, and that would be a way of recouping some of the money right off the bat. I'm assuming that's how Charles Band, why Charles Band owns a uh, a, castle? a castle in Eastern Europe. <laughs> I mean, if you have the chance, why not own a castle in Eastern Europe? Might, might as well put some puppets in there. Call it Puppet Master. Castle yeah. edition. <laughs> castle <laughs> edition. Anyway, it's a shot-by-shot remake of the first Puppet Master, but it all takes place in the castle now. Mm-hmm. And it also has TV's castle in it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, I guess Amazing. he's falling on hold to hard times, but that's okay. And they play chess, and the only piece they can use is the rook. Mm. Because it's a little castle. Oh, okay. oh, okay. Elliot's holding up his notes for this episode, yeah, and get, it's very, super we're, dense. We're barely into my notes. So Paul Sorvino gets mad because they don't have champagne at his buffet at the strip club. He swears a lot, and then he makes his assistant put his shoes on for him. We're now 13 minutes into the movie, and nothing has happened at this point. 
I kept a running tally of the time we were into the movie at different points because so little had taken place. So by this point, we've seen three guys sing along in a car for a long time. We've seen Frank D'Angelo have trouble peeing, and we've seen Paul Sorvino get mad at somebody and make them put his shoes on him. Okay, the guys arrive at the cabin, which is one of those cabins that looks like it's just on another street in the same town as the house that they just left. Uh, There's nothing particularly woodsy or even isolated or remote about this cabin. It's just a house. The guys unpack, all, start unpacking all the food that Carmelina made for him because she made like an entire catered events worth of Italian food yeah. the night before. Mm-hmm. But Frank wants to play cards. Come on. And they argue about whether they should unpack the food or play cards forever. Like it's just for a long time. So that's what they were talking about while the Frank D'Angelo song was playing loudly over the mix and they yes. just seemed to be shouting. Okay. Yeah. Cause we, we could not hear what the hell was going on. Uh, I, I think the fact that I was watching with headphones on helped me to understand some of what they were saying. Uh, but you didn't miss much because now they start playing cards. And Frank, clearly, he runs the game. He says if anyone cheats, they die. These are his closest friends, by the way. Every year he goes with them to the cabin to play poker. Still feels the need to tell them if you cheat, you die. <laughs> through a hand of poker. He's, oh, this is also maybe, the... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, he's maybe the least likable film character I've ever seen. Ever. <laughs> like, Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List, I was like, well, at least he's like, he's an evil human, but he's human. This guy I don't like at all. You're like Bobby Peru in Wild at Heart? Well, at least, you know, he's got a sense of humor. <laughs> and this is the part... Oh, the Emperor? Well, I, I, kind of, I kind of sympathize with the Emperor's need for order in a chaotic universe. Okay, sure. <laughs> I like the way he's got a wrinkly face. Yeah. <laughs> You know that part in Cannibal Holocaust where the, the people who are making the movie burn down an entire tribe for no reason? You know what? At least they're doing it in the interest of anthropology. <laughs> this guy, Frank D'Angelo, is just a jerk here. And Hitler had some good ideas, right, guys? Uh, right? Uh, dude, we were talking about movie characters. <laughs> anyway, this is the part in the movie where like they tell like two street jokes at length. Like there's a later uh, point where like they also tell a street joke and uh it's just like this movie spends so much time telling like a joke that you know your uncle would tell you at some party that you're just like I should not listen to be, this. Yeah. Like yeah. If you're th- if you're 13 and your uncle's like, "Hey, come over here. Come over here." And you go into a corner and he tells you like a dirty joke yeah. that he doesn't want your parents to hear. They do that over and over. They tell the same joke twice at length. And at different it, points in the movie. It's it's pretty obvious that offset there was a script doctor who was there and he's like, <laughs> No, you have to understand, if you want to get this movie classified, vampires slash horror slash mafia slash comedy, you're gonna need to put more <laughs> jokes in there. Yeah. The most popular section in the video store. <laughs> the yes. horror vampire mafia comedy. Did I say yeah, did I say script doctor? I meant blockbuster executive. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought you meant that Joss Whedon was there on the corner punching things up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, another one of my classic strong female characters, please. <laughs> That's my Joss Whedon impression. Yeah, great. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> hey, it's me, Joss Whedon. <laughs> Not Joe Sweet. Sweden. That's a completely different guy. <laughs> it's me, Joe, Joe Sweden. Sweden. How you doing? Hey. And they're like, hey, Joss Whedon, I love your stuff. No, no, the name is Joe Sweden. Uh, let me show you my driver's license. I'm tired of getting all the credit for Serenity. That's a great picture on your driver's license. Is that a... They let you wear a scarf for that? Yeah, well, I, you know, I wanted to look my best, and also I had recently been bitten by a mafia vampire, <laughs> and I wanted to cover up the bite marks. Oh, weird, a mafia vampire. How did that get delivered to you? 
Uh, how, oh, interesting. I'll tell you how that was. Uh, so, you see, I was at the cabin playing cards. Uh-huh. Actually, let me break this hilarious character. Wait, hold on. on. I, just, one thing. I just realized that there would be another movie in the mafia slash vampire slash comedy section, and that would be Innocent Blood. Yeah, I mean, that's a hilarious movie. <laughs> I mean, it is sort of a comedy. Also featuring Robert Loja. Yeah. I mean, a comedy in the way that, what, like an American werewolf in London is a comedy where there's not really jokes in it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like Sports bits. Night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sports Night's full of jokes. That's why they put the laugh track in after the first season. <laughs> okay, so here's something to remember about mob movies. Guys, whenever we see a big crowd of mobsters hanging out, what's the first thing we always see them do when those scenes start? We always see someone finishing a joke and then everybody laughing. It's always like, yeah, back then we had lots of fun. And then we cut to the scene and he goes, so I said to the guy... That's not my foot. That's my dick. And they all start laughing, and it goes, we were all there. Joey two times, Henry one time, mm-hmm. Henry Fingerbone, that guy, <laughs> mini kneecaps. And I think I think Frantangelo was like, oh, every scene. And mobsters are always sitting around telling each other jokes and forgot that in those scenes, we never hear the whole joke. Yeah. We always just cut to them laughing. It's just a way of establishing that they were talking, but he's like, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to show the whole joke. Oh, wow. Building suspense. <laughs> it's like a real postmodernist take on the uh, Mafia movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's like, uh, what are the, it's like uh, the innkeepers in a way, where it's like, hey, this is a horror movie, but a lot of it's really just about the innkeepers like hanging out and like getting to know these characters before the scares happen. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He saw the innkeepers, and he's like, I'll do that, but I'll do it mob style. <laughs> sure. I'm assuming that... Frank D'Angelo watches a lot of low-budget uh, indie <laughs> horror movies. He was like, I'll call it Sicilian Innkeepers. And then Ty West was like, I don't think so, sir. Cease and desist. <laughs> anyway, uh, we cut back to Paul Sorvino at the surprisingly chaste strip club. As Dan described, Sorvino's now wearing a little black fedora and just eating a lot. And I think this is supposed to be, like, decadent, but it just seems, like, very low-budget. There's the, and, and all we see is the women kind of wailing around while Sorvino stuffs food into his face. There's no plot in this. Plot. Yeah, it just okay. looks like he took like one one heavy trip to the buffet line, and then he's back wearing that bathrobe with his chest hanging out. And you're like, cool. <laughs> I guess they just promised like they lured him out of his cave with food. <laughs> <laughs> he usually hibernates. <laughs> You're positing that Paul Sorvino is some kind of an ursine creature. <laughs> yeah. He lives in a cave hibernating. I, I mean, they don't take his uh, bathrobe off entirely, so I don't see if he has any guard hairs protecting his genitals, but I'm assuming they're there. Okay, well, if anyone has any firsthand experience with Paul Sorvino's genitals, please write into the flop house. Mm-hmm. Tell, them, tell us how much they are or not, or not like a bird. Okay, back to the card game, and it... Just keeps going on. They keep playing cards. We're 20 minutes into the movie, no plot. So it's time for Eric Roberts to drive in. He and that other guy that we saw watching through binoculars, they're IRS agents. And Eric Roberts finally, they've been studying for Santino for three years. They want to finally take him down. He doesn't care about those other crimes. He just wants them to pay their taxes. Okay, back to the card playing and joke telling. And then night falls. <laughs> they're still playing, but they're tired. Nobody seems to be having a good time. One guy, which one? Is it Michael Perry who threatens the guy with glasses with a knife because he thinks he's cheating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then? The Weasley guy. We cut back to the strip club. 
The dancer they announced a while back, Cassandra, is still on stage, and Sorvino is still eating. It's been an entire day, is what this is telling us. We cut to a nighttime scene, then back to this. Paul Sorvino has been eating steak at the strip club all day, and there's this woman with him, and she I mean, goes he, over to the bar. He paid us 10 there. bucks, dude. You're going to get all the steak you can eat. Maybe it's one of those like steaks <laughs> that if you finish it, you get your picture up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's why he's dressed up so well, is because he wants his picture taken. <laughs> that's right. He's wearing his best <laughs> little hat. It's like picture Every day at school. Every time he goes there, he wears that hat, and he doesn't quite finish the steak. And he's like, this time I'm finishing the steak. I'm not wearing this hat again. Uh, so this woman who is like uh, Paul Sorvino's major domo, she walks over to the bar and yells at the bartender for talking on the phone. Uh, that's a, that's not a plot. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just an incident. And then Danny Baldwin shows up wearing an evil goatee, like <laughs> like a Spock in the Mirror Mirror episode. And he tells Frank Sorvino, uh, Paul Sorvino, they've got to stop Santino. They've got to stop him. And Paul Sorvino just yells at him. The next morning, now it's the morning. <laughs> The guys all wake up at the card table. They've all so fallen asleep in the, with their like cards still in their hand. What we're supposed to believe is they literally played cards until they passed out. Yeah, that's and how into the it's like that's crazy. But they all like, but also they're all asleep in the chairs. Like it seems like one guy would fall asleep in the chair. Like they they didn't all like simultaneously talk out. Mm-hmm. You'd think one guy would fall asleep and the other guys would be like. I know what to do. This is a mafia situation. Yeah. Let's dunk his hand in some water. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, they'd be like, yeah, it is getting late. Let's go off to bed. But no, unless someone literally just put gas in the house <laughs> and knocked them out. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a gas leak in the cabin, or maybe, like, their enemies put sleeping gas in there so they could rob them. I don't know. But they all just wake up at the table. It takes them a long time to wake up. But here's where things start to get exciting. Because, what? uh-oh, uh-oh, what's this? A box of bananas, like a big grocer's crate full of bananas. Yeah, it's and, breakfast and, time, dude. <laughs> right, D'Angelo's like, come on, what's this? What's this shit? He's like, it's healthy, come on. This is, so for breakfast, they're all going to have bananas like this. They open the box. Dan, you got you to gotta explain what happens next. They open the box of bananas and yeah. what happens? This, uh, I guess, CGI bat comes out of the box of bananas and bites Frank D'Angelo on the neck. And everyone's like, ah, bat. And they're like trying to pry it off of him. <laughs> but the thing that I love the most about this is the like box of bananas that the, the bat comes out of. Like the bat that gives him vampirism is a dole box of bananas. <laughs> like it's not just, it's not like this guy's like, oh, I got this like tropical treat like my friend has a line on some like really fresh bananas that come yeah. from from darkest peru or something like that it's like apparently just yeah, yeah, any from grocer. transylvania <laughs> yeah. any grocer has these like the risk of a vampire bat in them. <laughs> this is this i feel like funded s- by the anti-banana lobby i feel yeah. like cgi bat is being very charitable to what happens it feels very much like he opens the box, pulls out a dark piece of cloth, slaps it on his neck. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the camera starts going in slow motion and like it gets kind of swimmy, right? Like it feels. Yeah. yeah. And then blood the starts squirting everywhere. Yeah. Uh, there's blood all over the place. And I just I love how out of nowhere this comes from. And it's like we never that bat. You never see it again. No one ever talks about this incident again, really. So it's like, is this? Are we supposed to believe this is the kind of thing that occasionally happens in real life? Like, I don't, I don't really love bananas. Do you guys have you ever opened up a box of bananas and a bat or any animal has flown out? Well, first, even in the, the first, banana boat song, yeah, there's an animal. It's a tarantula, not a bat. Yeah, I mean the the risk in this case. I mean, 
for all I know, that actually could have been a tarantula because I did not see any wings on this thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the risk you run when you go to Sam's Club and you get the giant box of bananas <laughs> that hasn't been broken down into smaller boxes. Normally, the people who get bitten by these Bats or tarantulas are the stock boys at grocery stores. That's why they're all vampires. Yeah. That's, that's why, why they have the good insurance. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it's a lot of people know this, that most stock boys are vampires for this reason. Yeah. Now, speaking of health insurance, uh, they quickly rush Frank D'Angelo with this massive scarf wrapped around his neck to uh, what appears to be. I don't know, the same convention center that they shot the strip club at because this looks like the smallest little hospital. Uh, it's the same white walls and like cur- like one curtain they put up and like a bookshelf. <laughs> it's, it's a tiny it's a tiny room they've tried to make look like it's both the reception area and the ER of a hospital. And it's l- like that ER waiting room. And and there's like a bookshelf behind her uh, behind the receptionist's head. That looks like the bookshelf you would see at like a small resort where like when people travel, they like leave a book behind and take a book. (laughs) They're like, oh, you were bitten by a bat. Well, while you're waiting, why don't you read this Daniel Steele novel? Yeah. It's a paperback. The last couple pages are missing, but you don't really need them. You just fill it in. It looks there's a lot of points where it looks like they're in the like mafia version of like busy town scary (laughs) books where it's like this is the basic rudiments of a tiny hospital. Okay. Uh, they go and they kind of bully their way into the hospital. And at this point, uh, Frank has covered up his wound with just by wrapping a napkin around it. And it looks like either he has a toothache in his neck or he's trying to cover that little head from how to get ahead in advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like that's what that's what he's got. But the doctor looks at it and he says, it's just a scratch. It's miraculously healed. The doctor, having not examined him at all, tells him his vitals are good. And that he can leave. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think I think he must be a really good doctor, and he can just tell by looking at Frank D'Angelo, like, this is a man in the prime of his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a point later on where James Conn, later in the movie, is like, look at your skin. It's like a baby spot. Your skin's <laughs> getting younger. And you look at his face, and you're like, no, it is not. <laughs> yeah, He's not the at skin all. of a man in his early 50s. <laughs> I was like, please, somebody get James Conn his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe what we're led to believe here is this is a world where no one is very good at their job. The strippers are not good at stripping. The stock boys can't keep vampire bats out of their banana boxes. And the doctors don't really know what constitutes human health. Like, is that the world we're living in? Just like this incompetence universe? Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, like, it's a brutal satire on to, uh, day-to-day modern life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I wonder if it's also like... He's Canadian. He deals with the Canadian health system, and maybe he doesn't know how hospitals work in the United States, where you wait forever, and doctors make you take every test possible to drive the bills up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, maybe Friendship. like they went to this small hospital in the wilds of Long Island, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe they do things a little bit different out there. Who knows? Um, Here at Pepperidge. At Pepperidge Farm Hospital, just look at you. <laughs> no need for fancy big city tests. Uh, what? Instead of tongue depressors, we use Milano cookies. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, so he, so they take him home, and we had this bizarre dream. Well, before that, he, he the shot go. They pull up to his house. He oh, wait, oh, before they take him home, he has the dream. He has a dream of oh, okay. hyenas tearing apart their meat. 
and the doctor comes by to uh, hey say like hey what's going on and Frank D'Angelo I think he's supposed to like be like jolted awake and almost like he's about to attack the doctor but instead he just kind of touches the doctor's shoulders and then is very apologetic about it and then they send him home and he so get home. his buddies take him home and then we have a scene where Frank D'Angelo is hanging out in his living room and we just hear Daryl Hannah's voice haranguing the friends like clearly she couldn't be on set that day and they just had to ADR that, that, uh, the dialogue. Uh, Unless when he was bitten by a bat, she was bitten by an invisible man. That's and also possible. Invisible all day. That could be possible too. <laughs> that how it works. That's invisible man. Parism. It's yep, spread around. Invisible man. Parism. <laughs> and the hard part is a vampire. You can see a vampire coming and run away. Yeah. You can't see an invisible man coming. You might just feel a bite on your arm and think it was like, Oh, I, I guess I'm, a, a big mosquito bit me. No, it's an invisible man. You're invisible now. Time to write your memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for getting there. I was like literally trying to think of memoirs of an invisible man joke as you were speaking. And I appreciate uh, it. But guys, the movie's been full of filler up till this point. It's time to get into the real hardcore plot because this is when, as in any movie about a mobster bitten by a vampire, you know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. The mobster's daughter wants to go out. And, the, and her mother doesn't want her to go out. But the dad's cool, and he lets the daughter go out and gives her kind of a wink. Yeah, I love that he does. The best dad ever. Yeah, I love that he even has to be, like, the cool dad. <laughs> but how cool is he when he starts having, uh, what, dreams of his daughter being harassed at the club? Mm-hmm. Uh, a club that looks, let's all agree, pretty fancy. Uh, in a club that could only be described as the same room where they shot everything else, but <laughs> colored lights now. They dance to a Frank D'Angelo song about wanting to live forever. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, second thing that comes up when you look up Sicilian Vampire on Amazon is the single I Want to Live Forever by Frank D'Angelo. And how does the, Do you guys remember how the song I'm, went? Uh, no, I mean, he... Uh, Frank D'Angelo, who earlier had sung uh, Just a Gigolo with like a really great Louis Prima type voice, kind of adopts this like airy, almost ethereal quality in I Want to Live Forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gossamer. I call it Gossamer. Yeah. Yeah, he's the man of a thousand voices. Uh, it's a very I think that's, party USA type club. I think okay. Man with a Thousand Voices is, uh, I think that's copywritten, Dan, right? Is it? Yeah, it's copywritten Elliot Kalen. Oh, okay. <laughs> All the voices from this one, hey guys, to this one. Hey guys. <laughs> wow, cool. <laughs> I run the gamut. From this voice, hello chums, to this voice, g'day mate. Oh, wow. Elliot, cool. did a bunch of people walk into the room with you right now? <laughs> oh, I know you'd think that, but no, it's just me. Oh, but what about this guy? Oh, well, hello, I'm another person. No, just kidding. I'm just Elliot doing a voice. <laughs> oh, wow. Is that not like a like a stock casting office in Elliot's apartment? I like- I've had to start doing casting. It's uh, The writing work is just not coming my way. Sure. I'm a casting agent now. <laughs> I like the idea that somehow you have like one of those character uh, uh, headshots that show you in a bunch of different roles, but somehow it's just like voices like you've somehow figured out a way to just says it says voice only voice only only. (laughs) yeah there has got to be either in real life or a movie where somebody like an actor who's down on his luck and can't get a role starts a casting agency and then just keeps submitting himself to everything oh yeah that's a good idea Stuart. you got to write that movie okay i'll get right on it you know you call it cast of character oh i like it 
Makes uh, you think. Or call it call it podcast because the guy's name is Sammy Pod. Uh huh. All right, we're running so long, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Frank has a dream that uh, <laughs> his daughter is being harassed at this club, and suddenly his nails grow sharp, and he wakes up with fangs. Then the a lot funniest of fangs you've ever seen. <laughs> I cannot describe the fangs for us. I like they. I mean, they look just like like slightly sharper canine teeth that are just like poking a little bit under his lip. Like they're not like long, like elegant fangs. They're just like, I don't know. His like upper lip is kind of bumpy where you can see the thing being inserted into his mouth, the mouthpiece. They're not, they're not threatening fangs. They're like, you need to go get braces. (laughs) Exactly. He, yeah. Cap those. Yeah. So he, he opens his eyes and his eyes are, his pupils are bright red and you're like, Oh shit, things are going down. And then he like kind of smiles and you see the whisper of fangs <laughs> underneath his mouth. And you're like, <laughs> just a hint of fangs. And you're like, OK, vampires can be funny, too. It has. OK, the, those fangs are we'll get later to the funniest prop in the entire movie. Uh, the funniest fake prop, <laughs> which is another body part that shows up. But uh, let's just actually I'll just say it, guys. If case you, in case the listener listener, if you're like this is too long, I don't want to hear anymore. Later on, just know that there's a pair of there's a fake scrotum prop that appears <laughs> later. We'll get to that anyway. Uh, Frank D'Angelo, we see a lot of overhead shots of New York, and Frank like his hazy POV is in the club. He's there. Did he teleport there, or did he drive his car into Manhattan at night? Because I kind of like the idea of a vampire just driving his car through the tunnel or across a bridge. Yeah, not assuming the form of a wolf or a mist. Instead, he assumes the form of a guy just driving. <laughs> he assumes the assumes the form of a commuting worried dad. Yeah, uh, and he goes into the club and starts beating up the guys who were hitting on his daughter. And she goes, "Stop it! You're embarrassing me." But she's you can see she's glad that he was there. She smiles at him. He's a good they dad. Get home, Carmelina's mad. What's her daughter doing outside? Uh, and Frank goes, "Hey, you know, we just uh, we just went out for a bite." Every the whole movie, Frank's constantly talking about going out to get something to eat or sending people to get things to eat, which I guess is his idea of what being Sicilian is like. That everyone's always constantly thinking about food or going to get food. Uh, and then Frank he puts on on the record player the song that they first danced to, or they uh, they met during. It's uh-huh. some song that has romantic significance for them, and they dance together. And mumble each other sweet nothings that you can't really understand because of the audio recording. Now, is that song another Frank D'Angelo song? I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember either. I don't think it is, but it probably is. He, yeah. he does all the music. It probably is. Okay, once again, Frank wakes up in bed. We see a shot of a mouse that runs around and seems to make a fart noise. And then we <laughs> zoom up the stairs. Frank looks confused. Now, it's Sunday. He's driving his family to church, and they talk about where to get the best frizzoli. And... That, like Daryl Hannah is always talking about Italian food in this. She's either disapproving of something or talking about Italian food. And this scene goes on forever, and it really captures the feeling. I mean, this is good filmmaking. It captures that feeling of sitting in the back seat of a friend's car while the friend's parents are up in up front talking about something, and you're not really listening or paying attention, and you can't hear all of it, and you don't really care. That's what it feels. And it feels like you keep driving past the th- same thing over and over and over. Yeah, it's like the live-action equivalent of a Hanna-Barbera chase. Yeah. Where they, you just see the same door and window pass by because they're cycling the backgrounds. That's this movie. They're just driving around the block having a 
pretty boring conversation while you well even the movie is not fully invested in it or interested in what's going on i'd like to point out by this point in the movie there is no conflict other than <laughs> the fact that frank d'angelo is turned into a vampire which he seems kind of okay with there's no there's no conflict in the film it takes a long time for frank to wake up to the fact that he's a vampire but it doesn't help when okay every sunday they go to church and they visit frank's parents graves they get out at the church, and the minute Frank steps on the ground, smoke starts rising out of his feet. Because he's a vampire. Vampires can't be around churches. They're too holy. He immediately tells his family, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get something to eat. You go to church for me. And he knows that. And his, and his wife buys it because she's obsessed with food, too. Uh, cut to, and this, is my, this might be my favorite. No, I can't even say it. There's too many favorite parts of the movie. This is one of my favorite parts. You cut to an Italian restaurant. There's doo-wop music playing in the back. Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-wah. Everyone in the restaurant is having a great time. It's just this stupidly long montage of people having a great time at a restaurant. And, a certain, and Frank's not there. So you're like, wait a minute. Did this turn into a commercial for a restaurant in the middle of the movie? Mm-hmm. And then we cut away from the restaurant. Frank's in the cemetery at his parents' grave. So like, <laughs> did did the movie get faked out by Frank? <laughs> Frank said, I'm going to get something to eat. The movie was like, oh, I'll go meet you there. And then the movie was wandering around the restaurant looking for Frank. Yeah. Like, hey, where is he? He was supposed Stood to meet up. me at the restaurant. <laughs> Like the star of the movie and who directed and wrote it stood up his movie. Yeah. And then the, the, and the, it's like the movie was like, okay, I'll go to the cemetery and see if he's there. Oh, okay, he's there. Like, I cannot tell you how nonsensical it is to just watch people eating at a. It's like an Olive Garden commercial with no narration, and then you're out of it. You're gone all of a sudden. Uh, oh man! He goes to his parents' grave, and a ghostly voice says something to him that I couldn't understand, and he runs away. It might have been an Italian. And here's something I want to mention here. This is something we haven't brought up, but it became increasingly apparent to me throughout the movie that as the movie goes on, more and more of the film is in Italian with no subtitles. Characters just start speaking Italian to each other because they're Sicilian mobsters, and it felt like when you're using an immersive language tool for, for learning a language, and it's like, you're going to start reading this book, and there will be a few scattered Spanish words here and there, and there will be more and more with each chapter until by the end you're reading chapters that are all in Spanish. Uh-huh. That's what this movie felt like. There, by the end, whole conversations are going on in Italian with no subtitles. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, I guess I'll just – now it's a silent film essentially, and I'm just reading gestures and expressions. Like, <laughs> well, how did you guys – you guys are both Italian. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean I was, I was building it all off of context clues. <laughs> <laughs> I literally did not notice that this was happening. So maybe maybe it was the audio in the background overwhelming the thing, and I'm just like, oh, okay, I just don't understand this anymore. It's the same yeah. as it's been in the, the rest it of the movie. It was not even the language that you spoke. That's how crazy that audio mix is. Okay. I didn't even know they were speaking another language. Yeah. Uh, so we go back to the doo-wop restaurant. Frank and his crew are finally there, and they're meeting Robert Davi, who seems to be some kind of respect. He's like Davi. the boss, right? Yeah, I think so. Um uh, uh, the ma- filmmakers take a while to make sure we know who at the table is drinking wine and who is not drinking wine. They all talk about their drink orders for a while. <laughs> hey, guess what? Time for them all to tell some more jokes and yeah. have their little like sub Tarantino monologues about stuff. Frank gets a phone call. It makes him very unhappy and then goes into a long speech about how they have business. They have the linens contract for every hotel in Manhattan, but I want to sell that contract and buy real estate because that's where the real money is. And Davi says, as long as you're making a profit, don't sell that contract. Don't sell it. And Frank's like, but I want to invest that money. And then he turns and starts insulting his Weasley friend with the glasses. And it's like, hey, guys, 
you remember this Lennon's contract coming up at any other point in the movie? Uh, I mean, this is a movie that does introduce conflict that you did not know was there very suddenly. And then it is immediately resolved as we'll see later on with those testicles. The film feels, (laughs) it feels like the movie was a stream of consciousness writing exercise where it's just like, (laughs) I'll just keep writing whatever comes into my head. You know, like it'll just, it'll all work out in the end, you know, and it's kind of like a Mike Lee movie where everything's built off of improvisation. Yeah. And then not edited at all? No, yeah. of course not. Yeah, you want to get the it whole does, performance on screen. It does feel like a screenplay that was written in one draft in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And like that he would just get distracted and start writing other things. I'll tell you, there's only one writer who could really get away with stopping the story, starting another story, and then getting away from that and going back. You know who that man was? Miguel Ooh. de Cervantes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're about the same level of skill and (laughs) lasting impact. So I'd say Frank D'Angelo and Miguel de Cervantes were kind of going for the same sort of thing. Uh, Only one helped create world literature, and the other is uh, the owner of Cheetah Energy Drink. Okay, Paul Sorvino shows up, rival mob boss. He takes Frank's wine. Robert Davi tries to smooth it all over, tempers flare in furious Italian. Uh, And everybody calms everybody else down. Frank refuses to take a deep breath and calm down. And Daniel Baldwin's mad because he's like, hey, let me let me at him. I'll take him down. Let me at him. I'll take him down. And Paul Servino's like, no, I can get under his skin. That means I can control him. And then, and then that's over. Now, I made a note here. 58 minutes in, too much Sicilian, not enough vampire. I think that, <laughs> that might be the slogan for the movie. <laughs> Frank gets a phone call from a voice that says it's his father. But his father's dead. We saw him at his grave. And it says, like, soon we'll be together. And Frank speaks in Italian into the phone, even though the dad's voice is always in English. I didn't quite understand that choice. Uh, but Frank is, he's clearly shaken. And the glasses guy is like, hey, Frank's cracking up. And everybody's like, hey, oh, don't say that. Oh, okay, come on. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Frank Santino, he has a nightmare that he bites his wife and his daughter's necks. Don't worry. Turns out to be just a nightmare. I know you guys, if you we were hoping for more vampire stuff, but the movie's like, no, 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 that's just a dream. Uh, 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 It's like a, it's like a coy mistress who, uh, who you think is, takes off a glove and then hands it to you. Or like, uh, it's like the movie there's a part of me. I was like, Oh, is the plot happening? And the movie was like, no, no, don't worry. Don't worry. You can go back to sleep. There's no plot here. He's just having a dream about it. Speaking of introducing conflict, isn't it soon after this that they're at the nightclub and they introduce the concept that Frank and all of his buddies have like a group of Gumata like mistresses that oh, is causing problems. Up. That's coming up. We'll get to that because first he has to meet the star of the movie, James Kahn. Oh, Biggest shit. name in the cast. He's in like three scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just remember James Kahn in this movie. Like he's, this movie slid off my brain, but is genuinely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, and James Conn is a scientist who's like, he's like, here I am at my institute, Frank. Your family funded my research. I'll do anything for you. They're clearly in a hotel lobby, but it's mm-hmm. or like a lobby of an apartment building or a bank. It's huge or a bank. It's supposed to be a huge research institute. There's a pointless scene of them talking in the elevator about how many elevators there are on the different <laughs> sides of the building. <laughs> and it does feel like he's like, we got James Khan. Let's just shoot everything we can get. And they're like, okay, let's improv a scene. Uh, well, we're in an elevator. I guess we'll talk about that. They go to James Khan's office, which is hilarious. It's all like 
dark wood and dimly lit. It's like a smoking lounge, but he also has skeletons and skulls over <laughs> everywhere. And it's like Vivaldi music is playing in the background. Like it's a little bit like a, if they went to the Big Lebowski's, like that room with the fireplace from the Big Lebowski where he's getting really sad. Yeah, uh-huh. And they decided, well, we'll make this look like a doctor's office. That's fine. We'll just throw a skull in there and a skeleton. It turns out uh, James Kahn is a, is a doctor. He's a, he's, a ther- he's a physician, but he's also an expert in mythology. He has a PhD in it. And Frank tells him the entire plot of the movie up to that point as if we didn't see it. Yeah. And uh, even James Kahn's doc- doctor – Talks like a mafioso. He's like, well, you know, okay, let's uh, we'll go. We'll take a look. We'll take some tests. Uh, we'll do do a little test. We'll test you. We'll test you. And uh, uh, he calls he, he refers to blood as the Google of the human body oh, because it tells yes. you everything. Oh yes, he does do that. That is a and, thing. That and he's happened. like, and mucus is the Bing of the human body. <laughs> you're useless, and you're like, why is this there? Why would anyone use this? Uh-huh. Now, goes without saying that the genitals are the porn hub of the human body. <laughs> yeah. It's not much of an analogy. <laughs> and of course, the rectum is the bright part of the human body. Oh, uh, trenchant. Zoom, 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 zing, zing, zing. Uh, now, Dan and Stuart, what would be the, the nose of the body in the internet? Mm, let's see. Oh, man, it's a good way to know if something is terrible before you experience. Oh. It's got to be Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Ruining movies. The nose of the body. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what would, what would Huffington Post be? Like the nipples? That's, the, that's a vestigial third nipple. <laughs> okay. And Facebook is the navel of the movie because people are of the oh. body too people are always like, gazing into it yeah. oh i've heard that before and because it's heard- a name of oranges <laughs> <laughs> uh and now eyes are the windows to the soul so the eyes are the windows operating system that you're running your web browser on oh man you know we're doing a really great job of bringing <laughs> down the human body into computer shit guys well, it's not us it's james Kahn. james Kahn showed us the way <laughs> oh yeah he's he's brilliant that way um uh, anyway they ha- he gives them a blood test which takes forever mm-hmm. and the, they're like that's all you need, right? Three vials? No, no, no. Four vials. And there's a lot of suspenseful music, <laughs> as if we're worried the blood test is going to go wrong somehow. Now, this was a movie where opening a box of bananas went horribly wrong, so I guess it's possible a blood test could go wrong, but it doesn't. Yeah, yeah nothing happens. Nothing Much happens. like a lot of this movie. <laughs> we go back to dinner with Robert Davi. They, tell, they swap jokes some more. Same jokes we heard earlier get told again, but then... They overhear the guy with glasses. He's calling in a hit on his cell phone, and he does this by stepping over to the next table about a foot over. And he's like, "Yeah, he's going to be at the jazz club tonight. I want him dead. I want him dead." And it's very clear he's talking about his boss, who is sitting right over by him. Mm-hmm. But he just he didn't decide to even go to another room to talk about this. Yeah, maybe in the script it said uh, that he steps out of the the restaurant. They're like, mm, "We can't shoot this outside. It has to stay in the restaurant." <laughs> We don't have a permit for exteriors for this part. Uh, Dr. James Kahn stops by, says that Frank's blood is getting younger, and now Frank's going to live forever. Uh, Frank's dad calls him again, says uh, they're going to take care of their family, etc. There's lots of unsubtitled Italian. And James Kahn's like, you're going to live forever. Make me one of those. Make me a vampire, please. Yeah. It's so funny. James Kahn is like, I did up some mythology reading, too, and uh, it looks like, uh, you know, you might be like a vampire now who has to live from human blood. So uh, maybe when this is all over, you can uh, 
Give me a little bite. Yeah, it's like he's so <laughs> he's like still like James Con. He's still doing all of his James Con ma- mannerisms, but he's also kind of a little pathetic. Like he's just like, yeah. uh, if you could just uh, toss me, you know, a little nibble, a little nibble on the neck, <laughs> a little chew. It's like it turns into a curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, and it feels maybe it, not a nibble, maybe not a chew, maybe just a nibble, maybe just a peck. And it still and feels a, a little bit a like a classic. Uh, it feels like a classic Frank D'Angelo move to be like, I got James Conn in here. He wants me to do something for him. Like <laughs> he wants me. He wants something I've got. He wants to be like am. me. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It seems like he spent a lot of money to get a star of The Godfather to be on film asking him to bite him. Like <laughs> yeah. that, it seems like that's the whole the whole end game of it. But it's so. And then Frank goes home and is brooding. Dr. James Don Khan calls him to check in. Turns out, I'm actually sitting in my car out front of your house. Maybe you could uh, <laughs> bite me now. Maybe I could just come in and you could give me a little nip. Maybe like just, just a little oh, bite. Oh, that's Maybe great. live forever. I want to be young forever. And it is, James Khan is so funny. Like, he's so <laughs> pathetic. And, it's, and like, it is, it's like James Conn is hitting on Frank D'Angelo and Frank cannot find enough ways to say no. Yeah. He does not want to go out with him. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh man, I love it. I love that like and they made no effort to make Frank D'Angelo look different than bef- when he was not a vampire. They're like, "Why mess with perfection? We can't make him look <laughs> any more young, beautiful and powerful." Mm-hmm. No, you can't do it. There's no you're going to put lipstick on the Mona Lisa. It's perfection. Forget yeah. about it. Uh Frank has another day drink and then uh his I think his wife starts suspecting that he's having an affair. She seems suspicious. Uh, and we cut to Daniel Baldwin having sex in a bathroom with a woman we've never seen before, but who apparently is an informant for him uh, with Frank D'Angelo. And this is a sex Slay. scene that is, let's say, awkwardly realistic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like awkwardly, aggressively hostile. And luckily, Daniel Baldwin's underpants are on the entire. This is one of those standing up at the counter of a bathroom sink in a public place. Mm hmm sex scenes and daniel baldwin's bodyguard is literally stationed at the door to make sure nobody walks in yeah, and to hear all the yeah. yummy sounds <laughs> yeah. and also hear daniel baldwin being like you're gonna tell me where frank is right yeah yeah i'll tell you everything that happens and it's like or sunny they always call him sunny you're gonna tell and it's i guess daniel baldwin <laughs> yeah it doesn't so call him the a- actor's name <laughs> <laughs> good point <laughs> Good point. That Daniel Baldwin's just such a good lover that he's got this this woman wrapped around his finger. I mean, he does have a little goatee. That makes sense. Yeah, because he's a nasty too. boy. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of Mister Sinister's nasty boys. Uh, cut to finally the jazz club. Frank's there. People are having a great time. Uh, Frank, Sonny, he's not having a great time. He says he's tired. Uh, at this point, he's so mumbly. That the closed captioning, which I had put on at this point to help me figure out, is wrong. In one <laughs> uh, everyone's like, oh, he's a powerful person. And uh, the borough president comes over, but instead the caption said borough prison. And it was like, come on. When you're so mumbly the captions can't understand you, that's a problem. Uh, they say, hey, you know what would cheer you up? Sing a song. You know how we always used to sing? Let's sing a song. He's like, nah, nah, I can't do it. And they make him do it. It does not take a lot of pushing. But the whole walk up to the stage, he's like... Can't believe you fucking guys make me do this fucking thing. You run my life. There's nothing, you know, you just, you bully me around. I don't know. Glasses guy, the Weasley guy, does not get to sing. They shout him down when he tries to walk to the stage. And now, you, this is what you wanted to hear the whole time. You know that recording of I'm Just a Gigolo that they were listening to the car earlier? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, didn't you want to see Frank D'Angelo lip syncing to that? 
with the other guys as his backup singers? The, I know you did. I would only like to see that if they play the entire song, like it's planned to be a music video or something. Yep, it's the whole song, and mm-hmm. the lip syncing is yeah. beautifully bad. I like yeah, Ar- I like watching Armand Desante in the back whenever he's supposed to come in with Chigolo. And he like he's clearly way off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the sound of it, it sounds like they're lip syncing to a track that's playing in another building. Like there's, it's so unreal and and fakey, but you do get to hear the entire song. And people the are fucking thing, loving it. People are going apeshit, eating it up. This is the greatest thing. If Louis Prima walked in and was like, "Hey, let me get on in that," they would boo him away. They would throw tomatoes at him until he left. Because they don't want him soiling his own song when Frank D'Angelo could be singing it. And I love I love the acting choices by the guy with the glasses, the Weasley guy. Because at this point, we know he has called in a hit against his boss, maybe friend, maybe mentor. And he makes no uh, – he acts completely normal. He wants to go up and sing with everybody on stage. They don't have him like kind of wrestling with himself or struggling with that, like a shitty movie like The Departed. This is like he's just that into it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the that's the mafia life. Hey, if you're a mafioso, you're calling in hits. You're singing. I'm just a gigolo in front of packed crowds mm-hmm. and you tell jokes to each other. It's all about having fun and laughing. That's what the mafia is all about. Uh, but then that's when the Goomars show up. Uh Oh, it's that's right, because it's. Monday night, I guess, or Sunday night? <laughs> is Sunday night usually the Gumar night? It doesn't make any sense to me. They went to, didn't he go to church earlier that day? Yeah, yeah. Well, you leave your family at home to watch Thrones or Westworld or whatever the <laughs> fuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you we go out. did it the same way. Saturday night was for the wives. Sunday night was for the Gumars because the wives were at home watching last week tonight. <laughs> because God's busy and he's not watching you. The wives were watching Family Guy. Uh, <laughs> And and Santo, one of them is the girl Daniel Baldwin was having sex with, and and Sonny gets a premonition of that moment. And I have to imagine that was awkward for him to suddenly get a flashback of somebody else that he doesn't like having sex loudly in a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Think about it, guys. I would not suddenly want the image of someone I don't like having sex loudly in a bathroom thrust into my head. Is, Vampire or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's be difficult it, to deal. That's with. the curse of vampirism right there. <laughs> and uh, Santo says, "Hey, leave for a second. Leave for a second. He goes. Guys, we love our wives, don't we? Don't you love your wife? Don't you love your wife? So why are we doing this? And the and the implication is that becoming a vampire has made him a better person. Mm-hmm. That like now everything's a per- look, guys. I have to drink blood for a living. It's put a lot of things in perspective. Why are we cheating on our wives regularly? And so they all very seriously. And, and the glasses guy goes, "Sonny, you're like the whore master of the world." That's the phrase he uses. Wait, what? And they get mad at him and they throw him out. And. uh he throws everybody out. He tells the maitre d', I want everybody out of the restaurant. And everybody in the restaurant obliges him and leaves <laughs> so he can be alone. It is crazy. And each of them, and he does that so that each of them can break up with their mistresses in what seem to be surprisingly heartfelt scenes. Armando Sante is really having trouble with the fact that he has to break up with his longtime mistress. Yeah, I mean, you develop a relationship. It's almost like, uh, it's like the new family, they say. <laughs> And uh, and Santo gives his his uh, now ex mistress five thousand dollars in cash to say goodbye. Well, oh, that's a nice that's a nice severance package. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, she's not getting it's dental not exactly, anymore. That's the problem. It's not no. exactly a golden parrot. Well, he's like this should cover the cobra payments for the next couple <laughs> <Yeah>. months. <laughs> and then you got to find your own plan. 
uh, uh oh, everyone's out of the club. Waiters are just hustling everyone out, and everyone out is very understanding that that Santino needs his own space. But that's and, that, and they're like, I guess we'll clean up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the staff leaves. Eric Roberts walks in with his partner as everyone's walking out, and he sees Santino sitting by himself. They're about, I guess, about to arrest him. And then Eric Roberts goes. Wait, let's see how this plays out. And they leave. <laughs> because it's like like Achilles brooding in his tent. Yep. Uh, they like everyone needs to give Santino his his time because he's a larger than life hero. You know, he's someone who he's on an Olympian level. They just can't they just can't understand the depth of the emotions that he's feeling. And like Marlena Dietrich, or rather, more correctly, Greta Garbo, mm-hmm. he wants to be alone. <laughs> I corrected myself mid-reference. It was not Marlena Dietrich at all. Uh, But then Daniel Baldwin walks in, shoots Frank, blood spurts out of him, shoots him in the head. Paul Forsorvino comes in. Oh, no, and he tells Paul Sorvino, Santo is dead. And then almost immediately, they leave, and then almost immediately, Frank just sits right back up again. And Eric Roberts watches uh, Santino walk out of the restaurant. He goes, goes, bitch doesn't know how to die. Face closed. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, and uh, the, I'm trying to think, uh, the, the, the rat is, oh, this, so, uh, he immediately shows back up to his boys, the boy, they, uh, Sorvino calls up Armando Sante, goes, you work for me now, and then Frank shows right up, and they go, we heard you were dead, uh-oh, Glasses Guy must have been a traitor, and the fact that they heard Glasses Guy calling in a hit on their boss mm-hmm. right next to their table earlier in the movie, that was not the clue they needed, the clue was, who's not here to take care of the body, Glasses Guy. Uh, Frank said, they go, we got to take these guys down. And Frank says, I got to do this myself. They have a conversation that is about three times as long as it needs to be, where they keep offering their help and talking about how they're all family. They love each other. And he says, no, I got to do this myself. He kisses everybody on the cheek multiple times. And again, Armando Sante is having a very difficult emotional time letting Frank go and handle this business on his own. Yeah, because, I mean, at this point, we're to assume that he is going to his almost certain death. I mean, granted, getting shot in the face did not kill him, but maybe these guys know a way. Like, maybe there's a chance somebody's going to, I don't know, cut off his head and burn the bury them separately in two different mm-hmm. graveyards. I don't know Another the mythology. Crossroads? Here. Yeah. Uh, maybe stake him with a banana. Maybe right. that's how you do it. Maybe they're all going to hide or behind a river state. because vampires can't cross running water. Mm-hmm. Sprinkle rice things. on the ground so he is stuck counting every single grain. Uh... Any other vampire things? I mean, here's the thing. He should have known he was a vampire when he couldn't walk into his own Italian restaurant because of all the garlic there. Mm-hmm. He is somehow a vampire who has no problem with garlic because he's constantly eating Italian food. Or sunlight. Sunny. Yeah, he likes the sun. Yeah. Oh, also, in another sense, the sun never hurts him. That too. He's a vamp. He's a, well, maybe he just sparkles in the sun mm-hmm. like a Twilight vampire. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and they forgot to put the I mean, he's in. clearly as sexy as a Twilight vampire. Uh, so say, what order? Sante. What order does he kill these guys in? Well, let, there's a scene before that too. I'll say two things. One, Armando Sante is not giving a terrible performance in this movie. Although uh, James Caan is my favorite performance, he's hilarious. But first, we see Paul Sorvino paying off Glasses Weasel guy, calls him a rat and a hump cocksucker, and says, "I don't want rats around. I hated that guy, but you're a rat. Kicks him out." So. Now, the order. First, Santo kills Daniel Baldwin's bodyguard by slashing his throat with a fingernail. And the Mm -hmm. guy goes, didn't we just kill you? And he slashes his throat and he goes, no, I just killed you. That's the wittiest thing that gets said in the entire movie. (laughs) And he rips out Daniel Baldwin's heart and he goes, huh, 
I didn't think you had one of these. Holding this really fake heart prop. Yep, holding a fun. fake heart prop with a blood bloodless hand. Like there's no blood on his hand. Like he fucking phased into the body, took <laughs> the heart and phased out. Uh, he then goes to the strip club. It's deserted. Paul Servino is eating alone, wearing his hat, but shirtless. Still eating a steak. <laughs> and, uh, he goes, he goes. I'm going to rip off your arm and beat you to death with it. Which he does. It takes like three hits with the fleshy, bloody end of an arm to beat a man's head in. It does it. It's, this arm must be made out of titanium. Maybe it's that gold hand that uh, Jamie Lannister has. I don't know. Uh, or maybe that Paul Sorvino's love of steak has allowed his skull to become softer than a normal person's skull i mean it might explain why the arm was ripped out of the body so easily oh i mean he rips it out with the ease of someone ripping a wet kleenex like it just falls apart he has some kind of calcium deficiency (laughs) (laughs) like you know sometimes there's no paper towels in a public bathroom and you have to try to use toilet paper to wipe your hands off after you wash them Mm -hmm. the toilet paper just falls apart in your hands that's paul servino's arm and head in this scene no, I usually what I do in that situation because I'm like I don't want to use this toilet paper, so I just pull my undies off, I wipe my hands in the <laughs> undies, and then I put the undies in the garbage and leave. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I it's have really expensive because you're using me undies. Yeah, so. I'm using I'm go. using a competing product to our sponsor, Mac Weldon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, me undies, but I use it just to wipe my hands. So that's me being shitty to it. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because Mac Weldon's better. Uh, I have to assume from the, the weakness of Paul Servino's head that if a bird ever pooped on his head, it would just go straight through like a bullet, like someone dropped a penny off a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. It would kill him. That's why he's wearing that hat all the time. It's the only <laughs> protection for for his mushy head. Uh, finally, uh, oh, the IRS agents get the drop on Santo, and he says, "Stay and die, or I'll let." He goes, "He goes, you guys like chocolate milk? Why don't you go home, have a cup of chocolate milk, and not stay and get killed?" And after a three-year investigation, they go, okay, I like chocolate milk, and they leave. They yeah. give up so easily. It's, I lo- yeah. it's amazing. I love that like, Eric Roberts is like, just grinning his way through this performance. And he's just like, at this final moment, he's just like, okay. And it's <laughs> just sort of delightful. There are people like James Caan who are clearly not having a good time in this movie, and people like Eric Roberts who are having a fantastic time <laughs> in this movie. Uh, and then finally, he ambushes the weasel. The glasses guy, the snitch, the rat. And he says, you, you think the problem is that I, – I thought it was that you hate me. You hate yourself. And he rips off the glasses guy's scrotum, I guess through his pants. Uh, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. prop is hilarious. Either that or his scrotum just hanging out. Like that's, <laughs> like the, that's his Achilles put, heel right guys, there. I once was walking is around the city and I saw a what, man – I was once walking around the city and I saw a man in shorts and his scrotum was literally – Hanging all the way out, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, "But I was like, how? I, I had to double back to make sure that it was not like a prop scrotum <laughs> to take a picture for." <laughs> Wait, like, how did you how make sure it wasn't a this prop scrotum? scrotum, Dan? Did you go over and like flick it to see if he had <laughs> sensation? <laughs> I mean, I can't be totally sure. I just examined it a little yeah, yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you didn't like, you didn't taste it. You didn't. No. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> you smell didn't, it. Didn't take didn't a blood sample. It to a fake it's true. <laughs> yeah. I only used my eyes on it. Uh, so Dan, are you saying this memory is a case of scrotal recall? I am saying that, or actually, so you're Dan, saying you, that, and I'm agreeing with it. So, what was your question? So, you went back to take a look at it. Why? Just to just because I'm like fascinating scrotal. I can't believe that this guy. He was like having a conversation with a street vendor, and his whole area was just hanging out. And like, also, like I was uh, saying, like the. 
The shorts were high, but still, I would, like, I would the, hope so. The scrotum must have been. <laughs> no, they were actually they were actually surf jams. <laughs> yeah, 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 very low. But yeah, they though, were wearing so, John like, Cena style uh, jorts. He must have been <laughs> hanging lower than like any geriatric man. You know, like this was like a young guy, and his scrotum must have been dangling. Like a no, foot you know down from where it should be. <laughs> it's like people get those earlobe extenders. That's what he did with his scrotum. He got a scrotum extender. It's, yeah. it's super hip. It's tribal. Yeah, spacers. You know? Anyway, that was that was my tale of balls. Dance that tales of Dan balls. Dan with another <laughs> dance tales of balls. Anyway, he rips off his scrotum. The prop is hilarious. It's like a cardboard egg car- carton with two teeny robin's eggs in it. It's also, and this might be getting too disgusting, super dry. If you're going to rip someone's scrotum off, you got to assume that there's going to be some kind of fluids or blood or something. No, super dry. And I mean, I, I don't know, Elliot. I think you're, I don't know. I mean, have you ever torn a man's scrotum off through their pants? No, good point. That's <laughs> maybe the pants wiped everything off. Guys, how would you describe this prop? How would you describe this fake half a scrotum with two little testicles in it? That the movie decides to show us at this point. Yeah, there's maybe a, a cu- funniest prop I've ever seen. <laughs> a couple of two little robin's eggs in like a little brown napkin that are then forced <laughs> into the guy's mouth, and I mean, he basically crosses his eyes, right? Like, what happens? Yeah. Oh, like he's getting an eighties yeah. blowjob. <laughs> yep. And it's like he dies, I guess, out of shame or maybe the pain <laughs> of it. I don't know, but it's so. It's like it is. It's the moment where. You know, someone on set was like, are we really doing this? And Frank was like, you better believe we're doing this. This is the moment that's going to make this movie a hit. He's like, get me fucking Stan Winston in here. <laughs> get me the Toronto-based Stan Winston of fake scrotums <laughs> right now. I feel like that's, yeah, a, like this. that's a prop that, like, if somebody was auditioning for the sci-fi original series Face Off, they wouldn't even submit that in their in their their reel. They're like, I've never done film work. It looks like they went to a novelty store and bought like novelty half scrotum, but I've never heard of such a thing. Like, and what prank would you use that for? How would it ever be useful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, you're like, hey, you thought on today Easter Sunday you were just picking up a pair of eggs in a weird little brown napkin. Uh, uh, uh look closely. That is a fake scrotum. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it's so it's like it's an endearing moment because it's crazy. Uh, Sonny returns home to his sleeping wife. He takes off all of his rings, which is like six or seven rings. Yeah, yeah. Four days time. later, <laughs> <laughs> he never takes off his rings. So far, I'm going to call it the VQ of this movie, the vampire quotient. Very minimal, very low. Uh, gives his sleeping daughter a kiss. Santo goes to see Robert Davi, who, Natch, is cooking, uh, and tells him, promise to take care of my family. They have a long conversation. The audience is, at this point, reasonably saying, why is this movie not over already? Uh, Sonny goes to the graveyard. You hear his opening voiceover, and then suddenly, bum bum, Robert Loja is there. And through context clues, we know that that's his dad. And it's like, what... So I didn't understand if his dad was also a vampire or a ghost. Yeah. I'm He's, assuming I'm assuming a ghost. I mean, if he was a vampire, no offense to Robert Loja at this point, but he is not looking looking that great. <laughs> He's one of those vampires who got bitten when he was in like his 80s and he didn't get any older. No, that's yeah. that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, the camera cuts away and then cuts back and there's just a pile of, pile of dust. No more Frank. Wait, how did yeah. he die? I think the sun came up or he like just turned into dust 
because his time hadn't was bothered up. him the whole rest of the movie. So I don't understand. But, na- but now it does. But now it does. I mean, is he now it does. fully transformed into a vampire? Haven't is you that- ever read a vampire story, Dan? No, I understand the dust in the <laughs> sun, but you Man, you rip like, off a guy's testicles and then you turn into <laughs> yeah. dust. Vampires are immune to the power of the sun until they rip off someone's testicles. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like it's, he lost the will to live is basically the implication. I think mm-hmm. I have to admit that I had to rewind it and watch the scene again to make sure I didn't miss anything because he's talking to his dad. Then we cut to a close up of James Con looking concerned, and I guess a little sad that he didn't get turned into a vampire. And then we cut back to this pile of dust on a tombstone. And yeah, that's it. Back to the weird logo of the movie and then cut to a Frank D'Angelo song. And, and it's we are. And it's just a gigolo again, right? Is it? I don't remember. I don't think that's the first song that plays over the credits, but like uh, they kind of hustle through that number and go right back to just a gigolo. I think that you AKA get the theme from of Sicilian Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a gigolo. Parentheses, love theme. Yeah. Uh, wow. So future generations will only know it as the song from Sicilian vampire. Yeah. That's the thing. Dan, did we exhaustively cover that movie? I would say I'm exhausted. Okay. Uh, so I guess let's move on to final judgments. Yeah, let's do that. Whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie or a movie we kind of liked, uh, Elliot, I think you've got something to say. I'm going to look guys. This is for me was a classic. Good, bad Let's, you got a guy living out his fantasies of being a movie mobster on screen. Long scenes where nobody does anything but talk about cards. Uh, it, like somebody so, like cuts between different p- points in time and space that don't make any sense. There's that whole commercial for the Italian restaurant that just shows up in the middle of the movie out of nowhere and doesn't make any sense. And you got a lot of stars doing their best to be mumbly. I gotta say... Uh, even though there was very little vampire in this movie, I'm going to call it a good, bad movie. Yeah, I would say this is a firm, frightfully funny movie. Oh, wow. Oh, I forgot. Wait, no, it's not Shocktober. It's Smallvember. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, it was minimally mirthful. It was, no, it was way more mirthful than minimally. The, I know, but it's got to be small stuff. Oh, uh, the... It was a tiny treat. How about that? It was I would, a tiny treat. I would, say, I would say this is a good, bad movie. It's fucking crazy. But it is a challenging good bad movie because the audio is mixed so strangely that like you have to work at it to enjoy yeah. it, and that's and then once you work at it, you realize they're not saying anything of of consequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's lake like it's an yeah, it's it's they're not <laughs> saying anything about lake consequence. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Sicilian vampire is God's final trick on humanity, as it mocks the very idea of effort. Because mm-hmm. you have to put so much effort into understanding it, and then the payoff is is nil. Yeah, I, so it's almost like the universe is laughing at you for even giving a shit. I agree. It's a good bad movie. The you know you look at stories and you you ask yourself the question, why was this story told? Like, why did it need to be told? This family is the most important thing. Dan. I'm baffled by like I think that Frank D'Angelo was like just basically had like a an idea of like wouldn't it be cool if there's a vampire in the mob. Mm-hmm. And not remembering that that was a story that actually had been told before, but uh, then and he opens the movie mentioning that like this that he's telling this story, but like who's he talking to? He's a pile of ash at the end of the movie. He pulled a Sunset Boulevard. He's just a corpse talking to a movie audience. Okay, yeah, but it's, it's just yeah. There's, there's a, as Elliot says, there's a very little vampire quotient. They don't do anything with the idea of a vampire in the mob. 
It's just like it's like almost a documentary, like uh, a cinema verite, like Day in the Life of a Mobster. <laughs> and then at the end, like he's it, like, oh, also I was a vampire. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels like a documentary about the making of the movie you're watching yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's hard to tell which scenes are for the movie and which are just behind the scenes shots of the actors hanging out. Yeah, yeah, like now I would love to see I'd love to see a movie where there's a whole plot and then the end they're like, Oh yeah, and he's a vampire. <laughs> the Dead Pilot Society podcast brings you hilarious comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Aubrey Plaza, Andy Richter, Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman, Adam Scott, Molly Shannon, Busy Phillips, Tom Lennon, Anna Camp, Lori Metcalf, Alicia Day, Michael Ian Black, Adam Savage, Paul Shear, Ben Schwartz, Skylar Aston, Mae Whitman, Josh Molina, Ben Feldman, Nicole Byer, Jason Ritter, Sarah Chalk, Steve Agee, Jane Levy, Allison Tolman, Danielle Nicolette, Casey Wilson, Anna Ortiz, Lorraine Newman, June Diane Raphael, Kieran Chipka, Ed Weeks, Zach Knight, and Carrie Kenny Silver, John Ross Bowie, Jamie Denbo, Janet Varney, and many more. Listen at MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. I love Forget-Me-Nots. I'm Jesse. I'm Jordan. And we've been doing Jordan Jesse Go for almost 10 years now. And it's not gotten any easier to describe. So we asked our fans to do it for us. Jordan Jesse Go is a weekly conversation with two best pals, two hilarious friends, the hilarious smart kids, talking about hilarious stuff that happens to them, mostly really stupid stuff, awkward anecdotes, insane tangents heartfelt stuff. It's like being thrown in the middle of a hilarious conversation between you and your best pals. It's a show that makes me laugh every week, which is pretty rare and wonderful. It might be the best thing on the internet. One of the funniest things you will hear. And it's the best part of my week and has kept me company for the past seven years through all sorts of life. I love those guys. That's Jordan Jesse Go, the comedy podcast that's been named Best of iTunes. Every Monday on MaximumFun.org or your favorite podcasting software. I'll hug you and kiss you and love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. So we've gone longer than we ever have before on one of these uh, synopses, so let's uh, move on. Hey, it's, it's small vember. We get loquacious. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I don't get to see Elliot that much now they moved away, Dan. Okay. Let me talk Jeez. to him on yeah, the fucking is- computer for a second. You're saying that you don't want time with me? All right, I get it. Thanks. All right. Elliot's in a new city, and he doesn't have a lot of friends yet, but he's really fun, and people will get to know him, but not yet, so he's got to enjoy this time with his buddies, reviewing movies about a Canadian vampire that's also Sicilian. Hey, do you remember when when the Alamo Drafthouse did that special screening for Sicilian Vampire, you know, where it was uh, was Sicilians only? And vampires on. <laughs> oh, weird. I didn't know that part. I just thought it was a room full yeah. of mobsters. Yep. A room full of monster mobsters. Oh. Um, we've got a one we've got one sponsor this week. Mm-hmm. And it's Blue Apron. Uh for less than ten dollars per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre portioned ingredients to make delicious home cooked meals. Now some of the upcoming meals. Listen to this. You got your summer vegetable and egg paninis with Calabrian chili mayonnaise and caprese salad. Mm, Making it hard on you. Am I back on Sicilian vampire? You're in all these beautiful Italian foods. You got soy glazed. Oh, Calabrian? Okay, great. Soy glazed pork and rice cakes with bok choy and marinated green beans. Oh, like Nona used to make. As Jordan Jesse (laughs) goes. Delicioso. As Jordan Jesse goes says, let me add them cakes. (laughs) 
And we've got skillet vegetable chili with cornmeal and cheddar drop biscuits. You know, I uh, I just, uh, my wife and I just moved apartments and we are still kind of getting our kitchen set up. So we've been a blue apron it up lately. And I'm kind of surprised at how, uh, how eat like useful and easy it is. And also, like, I, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at handling the staples of a meal, but I'm impressed at how Blue Apron has taught me how to make some, like, little little tricks to, like, take my meals to the next level, like the little side yeah, yeah. things. Things that, like, like things I never thought about. Blue Apron is kind of like the culinary version of, like, when an older woman takes a younger guy under, <laughs> under her wing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> teaches her the arts of desire yeah, and pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, she knows this stuff. How else are you going to learn it, you know? Takes the younger man under her blue apron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it says, uh, do what you like down there. <laughs> no, yeah. not, not that's, do what you like. Yeah, that's, that's not very instructional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So welcome to sex class, lesson one, do what you want. All right, that'll be $400, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's also the exact opposite of Blue Apron. That they, the Blue Apron's like, here's some ingredients, throw them in a pot, do whatever, we don't care. <laughs> no, they're telling you how to do it so that they can help you. Yeah, all right, sorry. It's a helpful <laughs> service. Yeah, Blue Apron knows you're busy, so now they're offering 30-minute meals. These meals are made with the same flavor and farm-fresh ingredients you know and love and are ready in 30 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Flophouse. That's blueapron.com slash Flophouse. That's us. Cool, cool, cool. The Flophouse. Um, but now, now that we've got that business Yeah, what do we do way, next, dude? We uh, well, answer uh, we a should, few letters. We should, well, before we do that, you know what we should mention? Uh-huh. We've got some live shows coming up. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. What What's the deal with those? Uh, yeah. the There's... We got one in LA. We got one in Toronto. We got a later one in San Francisco. The Toronto one, I we in when we in error said was sold out. I have since heard that people are still able to get tickets, so we should promote that one too. Yeah, hopefully Not the draw in Toronto. We <clears throat> thought we were. Yeah, oh, hopefully boy. people aren't returning their tickets angrily because they thought they were getting tickets to Chapo Trap House. Hmm. Uh, so we've got a show on September the eighth. We got wait. We got a show on October the eighth. October. Was, I keep thinking it's September, but it's October. Dar- darn this love of September that I have. Yeah, October the eighth in L.A. What's the name of the theater? The Regent Theater. Is that yep. correct? Yep, that's right. Uh, we have one in Toronto. Uh, which, which is the we're doing that on the Saturday, right? Yep, that's the twenty first. <laughs> okay. October 21st. Uh-huh. We're doing great. And then <laughs> we're really professional, guys. We've got one in San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco, the home of bread bowls. On the 9th. In in December. On December on December 9th. 9th. Uh, and you can't that's, just say the 9th. <laughs> every month has a 9th. That's at the Marines Theater. Yeah, Marines Memorial Theater. Come see us. This is our first time doing shows on the West Coast. So, uh, I don't know. Come out and watch us talk about a movie. Yeah. It'll be exciting. That's October 8th at 7 p.m. in Los Angeles. That's a Sunday. December 9th, that's a Saturday in San Francisco. And October 21st in Toronto, that's a Saturday too, right? Correct. And this all should be on the website. Cool. Okay, what else do we have to do? 
Ne- I don't see I don't see a listing for the in the event section for the Toronto show. Yes, that's because again I thought it was sold out, but uh, okay. So if you're in Toronto, just just Google Flophouse Podcast Toronto, and it'll get you there. Or just use your blood; it's the Google of the human body. Yep, just take some blood and give it to James Con. <laughs> Otherwise, if you're in Los Angeles, go to the Flophouse webpage and go to the events section. Or if you're in San Francisco, buy some tickets and come see us. I'm excited to do West Coast shows. We'll be three hours more energized than they would be in New York, and. I don't know about you guys. I'm going to make some new PowerPoint presentations for them. What? West Coast only. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm going to do an old PowerPoint presentation because I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. We got to get on those. So uh, we'll talk about that off air. This first letter that we have from a listener is from Sam, Finn, and Ava. Last names withheld. Uh, longtime listener, first time writer. I think Ava is the one writing, even though it's from three people. I just wanted to thank you for bringing smiles and laughter to my otherwise dull life. If it wasn't for your episodes filling my unemployed days with joy, I probably would have written this letter as a physical ransom note and sent it to Dan's address along with some creepy voodoo dolls I've made in my spare time. Thankfully At least you got Dan, a hobby. He will not shit his pants in fright today because whenever I get the urge to come up with ways you to scare Dan. <laughs> you don't know that. He may at some point. Just turn on your show. Now, Floppers, I have two listener questions. Question number one. Out of all the movies you've seen throughout the years, which would you say had the most shocking, surprising, creepy ending that stuck with you? Mine would be, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I feel like this, this whole question will be spoilers. What's spoiler alert for? Sleepaway camp. So just jump ahead, you know, like 30 seconds or whatever if you don't want to know. At the end of Sleepaway Camp, when you find out that Angela, the troubled protagonist, is actually Peter, who is supposedly killed at the beginning of the film. If that wasn't surprising enough an ending, the director-writer even included a scarring shot of the young teen peen on the Angela-Peter character. Question number two. Can you guys, mainly Stuart, I suppose, name any other movies besides Castle Freak that has a good ding-dong ripping scene that's worth watching? Mine would be Return to Sleepaway Camp. Side note, I've been watching a lot of Sleepaway Camp. When Randy gets his ding-dong ripped off by a fishing line attached to a Jeep. Classic. Thanks, floppers. Keep on flopping. So the most shocking endings that you've seen, and also ding-dong ripping. I mean, I, I there's one ding-dong ripping that comes to immediately to mind. But What's that, Dan? Street Trash. Oh, Street Trash, sure. Where they play keep away with a ding-dong? I think in uh, I think in Sonny Cheeb is the Street Fighter, he rips off some guy's stuff, too. Does he? I don't remember that. I, maybe, maybe I'm making that up. Maybe it's all. Maybe I could be accused of making up a scene in a movie where a character rips off <laughs> genitals. Uh, now, does it count if the ding dong doesn't get all the way ripped off? Because there's the part in Snakes on a Plane, he's <laughs> peeing in the plane, and a snake jumps on and starts biting his ding dong, and he has the immortal line, "Hey, get off my dick." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my favorite line in cinema history. Yeah, the. Uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like a ding dong not getting ripped off all the way is basically just masturbation, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I feel the thing about uh, twist endings too is, I mean, there's a lot of like shocking endings that end up like making a movie worse or mm-hmm. being dumb, like the ending of uh, like Don't Look Now. Is pretty okay. shocking. Come Not on. a fan. All right. Uh, the 
or like the ending of the that the movie The Kingsman, where uh, I'm uh, spoiler alert uh, the the hero is promised uh, anal sex with a woman if he saves the day, which he then saves the day, and the last shot of the movie is from his perspective about to have that anal that proffered anal sex. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? <laughs> no, that happens in the fucking movie, dude. Blockbuster film, The Kingsman. (laughs) Yeah. Wait a minute. It's in The Kingsman, yeah. Wait, but how is it from his point of view? Is the last shot just the camera zooms into an anus? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Like all the way in. His point of view (laughs) is from the tip of his dick. It's like he he looks down and then you just see the anus waiting for him and the camera zooms in. (laughs) And the anus winks (laughs) at you. Created by Mark Millar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Credits come flying at the camera. Uh... No, but the, he's he's wearing a pair of glasses that uh, he's wearing glasses that have a, a built in camera. And so and that image is being sent to Mark Strong, who is like in a bunker somewhere giving him advice. And so we're like seeing Mark Strong watch this on his computer. And he's like, you know, it's like the James Bond moment where they're like, oh, James is up to his old tricks again. But it's yeah. it's kind of weirder. Kind like of it's, weirder. It's okay. It's definitely weirder. It's super not okay. Like, yeah, no, it's fucking crazy. All. It feels. I mean, it feels like the worst of all Mark Miller writing, kind of distilled into one moment. Um. So I guess that's pretty shocking. What about you, Dan? Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, uh, and I'm sorry that I'm breaking the rules, is not a movie but a television show. Uh-huh. Uh the thing that has stuck with me all these years until until the TV show came back was the ending to Twin Peaks. Okay. Where again, spoiler alert, uh the evil doppelganger Bob uh agent version of Agent Cooper escapes from the Black Lodge. And you think you think that uh it's good old Dale until he rams his head into the Yeah, and he looks at the screen mirror. and he says What's up with Annie, dudes? No. <laughs> and you're like, what? Who's this guy? <laughs> he says, how's Annie? How's Annie? I think you're misremembering it. Elliot, yeah. what about you? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm having some trouble coming up with, with a good one. So maybe we should just move on. Uh, okay. I thought I'd have one. I mean, there's there's moments that were like, I've seen in movies that were like, deeply affecting to me at the very end where I'm like, wait, what? But mm-hmm. I'm having trouble thinking of one that was like a shockingly either scary or, or surprising. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of endings that, uh, I don't, I, I don't feel like I've always been this way, but I do like movies that have resol- like a non-resolution ending, like an ending, like something like spoiler alert again. Uh, what is it? Martha, Marcy, May Marlene, where you're like, mm-hmm. are like, are the cultists coming after her? Or is that just a truck? We don't know for sure. And that's yeah. like, I think that type of shit's great. Or like oh, the end okay. of like, it follows. You're like, is the person walking behind them and it follows? Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. I mean, the, the ending of, uh, it's not a shocking surprise exactly, but the ending of the Manchurian Candidate, or rather the climax of it, is like, that's one that I've seen in a number of times and always like leaves me feeling like the, the bottom of the world dropped out, yeah. you know? Uh, it's just a bleak ending, but I don't know. I haven't tried. I'll think of one later. All right. I'll, I'll write it. Is the me. ending of the Manchurian Candidate the one where uh, the Manchurian Candidate has taken the sleeping potion, but he's taken it too long, and he wakes up, and uh, he's in nope. uh, post-apocalyptic nope. future? 
Nope, you're thinking of the director's cut of Army of Darkness. <laughs> oh, weird. Okay. <laughs> a very different movie. Uh, this next letter is from Dora, last name withheld. Mm-hmm. The Explorer. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Hello, Dan, Elliot, and Stuart. My friends and I were throwing around a hypothetical question about movies the other day because we're that kind of people. The hypothetical is, if you could visit any movie set and get the full behind-the-scenes experience, which movie would you choose? My friend's answers ranged from, I just want to eat one of those cakes from the Grand Budapest Hotel, to, can I go to the future instead just to see what kind of nightmare Michael Bay has cooked up for Transformers 14? Hope you guys are doing well. And always, as always, thanks very much for brightening my days with the podcast. All the best, Dora. Um, so it's not that you're living inside these movies. It's that you're visiting the set. No, I'm... Oh, so it's... Or is it... it it's not a last action hero type thing? It could be. <laughs> yeah. Can I, I be a cat, can I be a cartoon cat in this situation? Yeah. <laughs> I think you kind of already are, Stu. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like... There, there aren't very many movies made in the last, what, 10, 20 years where I would like to visit the set. Like, I feel like it would be, it would probably be like an older film, mm-hmm. like something like, I don't know, uh, The Magnificent Seven or, uh, or like Lawrence of Arabia. Like one of these like grand classic movies that also has a big sprawling cast or, I mean, or like, or Star Wars. I mean, I should just say Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of surprised Star Wars wasn't the first one you said. I was trying to be like a cool film dude first. I get it. That was super cool. Yeah. Or like Goonies, like a movie I grew up with. I think like and that had a lot of cool weird sets and stuff built for it. Yeah, I mean the the where I would go with this is um I would go like Raiders of the Lost Ark or maybe Poltergeist and the reason is when I was a kid I was so fascinated with special effects in general and industrial light and magic in particular. And I would like to go with like one of these movies that I remember from my childhood that really kind of epitomized the, the Renaissance of like ILM stuff Mm -hmm. and seeing all the props and the different techniques that got put into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably want to go, go hang out on the set of gremlins too. Oh Yeah. For that reason, be around a bunch of Gremlins puppets, see how they did it. Mm-hmm. Or the old Star Wars and just go running around the Death Star. It'd just be fun to run around the hallways because they built a whole Death Star for <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, Gremlins 2 would be great because you'd get to see the inside of, what is that, Clamp Tower, Clamp Center, before it got torn down? Yeah, Clamp Tower, mm-hmm. yeah. Before he rededicated, before uh, Daniel Clamp rededicated himself to building small suburban towns, <laughs> like Clamp, Clamp Corners, where nature slows to, where life slows to a crawl, um, or the or the, the set of the original Planet of the Apes. I'd love to go to. Yeah, that'd be cool. So this last letter is from all names withheld because I probably just forgot to find the name. Sorry for whoever this is. <laughs> Once again, Master Sleuth. Dan McCoy. Uh, but the letter is titled, Eric Roberts, holy shit. And it says, Eric Roberts is probably the most prolific actor of our time. How has he not been in more Flophouse movies? For 2017 alone, I count 42 movies in 2017, all before May. I'm not even, <laughs> sh- I'm not even sure why he's been in so many movies, but I would like speculation from the Flophouse boys as to why. So obviously I... Uh, 
Well, I think this letter since we watched him in Sicilian Vampire. I think number one is, I mean, the guy's got a great work ethic, you know, and he's just got a face that's just like one of those like kind of bland vanilla faces, (laughs) like a real everyman look about him. You know what I I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't. I, that's insane that he's been in so many movies and I actually haven't seen more of them. Like, although like it seems like mainstream Hollywood has given up on him outside of like Christopher Nolan. Who I don't know about that. He shows up every now and then in, in little things. Yeah, like little roles. He's like, but he's a guy. He's one of these guys who like seems like he'll do whatever. And if there's an actor with a well-known name who'll do whatever, then like people will make use of them. Yeah. And he seems to have a lot of time on his hands. What else is he doing with his life? You know, he's an actor. He's got to act. Well, he yeah. also does stuff like uh, Talking Cat, where he's recording everything from his bathtub. So it's easier for him to... I mean, if it's if that counts as a movie role, then yeah, for sure. <laughs> like he, he doesn't even have to leave the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Over the phone. He was either in the bathroom or maybe seated at his computer writing the next great American novel. I can only imagine. Uh, I'm looking through his filmography. One of the... Movies uh, for 2017 is the best Thanksgiving ever. Mm, okay. Way to, way to set the standard. And he's also in the terror of Hallow's Eve. So okay. he's really hitting the no offense to, no offense to the holiday films. Yeah. No offense to Eric Roberts. The best Thanksgiving ever probably does not involve Eric Roberts. <laughs> no. There's something called After School Special that has a sexy Catholic schoolgirl on the, t- in the front of it. Okay. Devil Dogs and Child of Satan. Yeah, he's got a lot of... Team Up? (laughs) Yeah, no, those are two separate movies. Yeah, the Team Up's going to be in 2018. Oh, as part of the Eric Roberts Cinematic Universe? Mm -hmm. He's he's got an upcoming project called just called Taco Shop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he's doing doing just fine. Oh, he's got... He plays... Wait, I'm sorry. He's got something also coming called Fatty's Take Down the House. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly, he said, "This is the this is the very this is the classic era of his career." Yeah. <laughs> and again, I don't want to I don't want to attack it. An actor's got to act. You got to you got to you got to do work. Like I'm not going to attack anyone for taking the jobs that are available. Yeah, it does seem like it seems like there's a room though of people coming up with the craziest possible movie ideas just to pitch them to Eric Roberts. And see if he'll do them. <laughs> Uh, like I bet they generate the titles and then they email them and they say, "Would you be in a movie with this title?" He goes, "Yeah, sure." And they're like, "Okay, we got to write a movie that goes <laughs> with the title Fatty Take Down the House." <laughs> yeah, um, do you think they send them a big list of movie names that they made up and they're like, "Which ones will you do?" And they're like, "He'll only pick like one of them, and then we'll write the script based on that." And he's like, "Fuck it, I'll do all of them." They're like, "Shit, <laughs> go get a bunch of Jolt Cola. We're gonna be here all night." You'll be writing all night. Uh, let's move on to our last segment, which is recommendations of films that you should watch, let's say, in addition to Sicilian Vampire. Not instead of, necessarily, because we all had a good time watching Sicilian Vampire. So I'll go first. I um, A while back now, we haven't recorded... Uh, it's been a while since we recorded... Uh, or it's been a while since I saw the movie. Um, I went to... There was a retrospective of Jonathan Demme's films at the Brooklyn Academy of Music and I saw an early movie of his I think it was like 79 maybe I could be getting that wrong uh that he did called Last Embrace 
and it's largely been forgotten, but I really enjoyed it. It's a Hitchcock pastiche, which you can tell because it has things like it ends up in a big fight on Niagara Falls. And there's another scene that I... Classic Hitchcock. Well, you know, he likes to have... Nope. Well, well known for his Niagara Falls fights. Uh, like the one in Psycho and the one in Vertigo. He likes to... Uh-huh. One in, one in uh, Disturbia. In the, at the end of his films. <laughs> Disturbia. Hitchcock's classic Disturbia, yeah. And he also it also does that Hitchcock thing of like there's a fight in a of getting really fat. Yes, he does. Does he do the Hitchcock thing where uh, the main character walks out and a bunch of doves fly all over the place? Does he do that Hitchcock thing where someone where a cowboy gets shot in slow motion and the body falls to the ground really slow? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does all of these things. But the thing I was in particular thinking of is that Hitchcock. Does he do that Hitchcock thing where he goes on vacation with his friends who are also Hollywood stars and they just film a movie about it and they call it Grown Ups 2? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. Classic Hitchcock. Forget it. I'm not even going to say no, it. No, no, Dan, what do they do? What else do they do? Uh, Tell us about it. He does that Hitchcock thing. Do they do that Hitchcock thing <laughs> where, where the actors turn to the camera and address the audience as if the audience is there? Uh, where... Do they do that Hitchcock thing where a guy with a machine gun says to Tom Hanks, I'm the captain now? <laughs> where uh, they sh- Do they do that Hitchcock thing where it's all motion capture and it's a Polar Express? <laughs> all right, so watch the movie and write in to think what Hitchcock thing you thought that I was talking about. Uh, but it's a good movie. It stars Roy Scheider. It has cameos or smaller parts uh christopher walken is in it john glover who we all love is daniel clamp from gremlins 2 uh it's also it it spoiler alert it uh is a jewish thriller it uh wait judaism figures into it why is why is that a spoiler i don't i mean like it's just like (laughs) it it is I it mean, like the end of Sleepaway Camp where it's revealed and you're like, he's been circumcised? I just don't want to give away too much of the movie, but it's kind of interesting. You don't usually see like that element in a thriller. So it's a very fun movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, so I, I, I recommend Last Embrace. Uh, that's cool. I'm going to recommend, uh, I'm going to recommend a, another writer, director, star vampire movie. Okay. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie from the nineties called habit, uh, written and directed and starring Larry Fessenden, who is uh, kind of a, like a indie horror guy who has been pretty influential with, uh, the indie horror scene, He's the hardest working man in horror, right? Yeah, I mean, he's and he's still he's still pretty influential and still kind of involved with the like new crop of young indie horror filmmakers. Um, if you if he was also involved in that uh, that video game that came out a little while ago, Until Dawn, where you the like the pitch is that you're kind of like playing out the story of a slasher movie, um, and the choices you make will affect the direction of the game. You know, like most video games, but in this case, you're like you're like directing a slasher movie in that game. Um, and, uh, habit is a movie about a man who is coming out of a breakup and, uh, his life's kind of falling apart and he finds himself in a kind of a whirlwind relationship with a woman who turns out to be a vampire and it, and it plays out with themes of like addiction and, uh, and relationships. And I remember seeing it, 
not long after it came out and not really getting it and then seeing it a few years later and liking it a bit more. Um, I mean, it does have something to do with how much like how, how much you will take from it will also be tied with how much you like 90s indie cinema. But uh, I think it's I think it's a great little horror movie. All right. Uh, and I also wanted to recommend a little vampire movie. Uh, to show a little vampire. The little vampires. It's about a Dracula gets shrunk with a shrink ray, and now he's that, riding around in a kid's pocket to school. Is that what happens in that fucking movie? Because Jonathan Lipnicki's in that movie, the littlest vampire. That's the the littlest vampire. I think he's just a kid vampire. Oh, right. okay. He's not Which, who, uh, who yeah. murders people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also he's stuck. He must be stuck as a child his entire life, like in Let the Right One In. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, or is it Near Dark? Yeah, no, there's I, both of them. Yeah, yeah. Or to- or what? Uh, interview with the vampire. Interview with a vampire. Yeah, the movie I was thinking of. Uh, I was thinking of an interview. Yeah, so they interviewed a vampire uh-huh. on sixty minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I wanted to recommend an indie vampire movie, and I wanted to recognize the recently deceased George A. Romero. Uh, oh yeah, and mention his vampire movie Martin, which is not the easiest one to find right now. Uh, but you can find it. I used to own a VHS copy of it for years and sadly gave it away when I got rid of my VHS collection. But uh, it's a great movie about a guy who is convinced he's a vampire. He does not have fangs. He doesn't. He can go out in the sun. He doesn't have the the supernatural elements of being a vampire, but he's convinced he has it, and his relatives are convinced he's a vampire. And it's kind of about the, the loneliness and isolation from society that humans and vampires share, but that also might drive someone to identify with being a vampire rather than maybe admitting their situation for real. But uh, whether he's an actual vampire or not, I'll let you watch the movie to find out. That's Martin. So you're George Romero. Recommending the TV show Martin. I've I've always been trying to track that one down, and it's just really hard to find. It can be very hard to find. Stuart, if I realized that, I would have given you my VHS copy. But I don't have a VHS player, so I guess I'd have to like... Just like run it by my eyes real fast. Just look at the magnetic tape yeah. and see what it looks like. Yeah. Might, I wonder if there's some way to find online that if it's ever playing in a theater near you, listeners or Stuart, it is well worth going to go see. It's a really good movie. Those, uh, and it's too bad that it's so hard to find. Those old Romero movies are hard to find in general. Like it's kind of hard to see the crazies. It's hard to see Night Riders. Like I don't know. The crazies and Night Riders at least have been, they've had a DVD release. Yeah. Night Riders is harder to find. Like, what's it called? The Coven? That one's really hard to find mm-hmm. sometimes, or like uh, whatever the name of it is. The, uh, the the but or was it's like the crazies they at least re released not too long ago. Yeah, but uh, there was. Does it have to do with like like the right stuff? Like after Night of the Living Dead, when the movie The Right Stuff came out, <laughs> they were like no more George Romero movies. We're only making movies about NASA now. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, guys. But I think it is. I think it's a. I think it's a, a rights situation for the most part. Let's wrap things As up. As opposed to Night of, the, Night of the Living Dead, which is in the public domain, yeah, and in, entered the public domain instantly when it was released because this, they didn't put the copyright on the on the film itself, which is crazy. Yep, some lazy title card writer did not put the copyright on, and the and rest yet, is history. Sicilian vampires, Hal and Frank D'Angelo rake in the million. Yeah. Uh, guys, let's... Guys, I, I want to admit something. Okay. Uh-huh. 
after seeing this movie. Yep. When we go do our Toronto show, I really want to go eat dinner at the Forget About It. Yeah, well, yeah, no I'm shit. We're totally going, going there. <laughs> All right. Let's totally go. Yeah. All right, got to make a reservation now. I don't know whether we need to make a reservation. Um, let's uh, close up the old flop house. Okay. Put the lock, lock the door. on the door. Yep. Uh, um, There's the creaky door. Mm-hmm. Rattle the keys. Rattle, rattle, rattle. Rattle, rattle. Thank rubble, you, rubble, rubble. Thank you for joining us. As, as always, uh, go to MaximumFun.org to hear a lot of other great shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. And I'm a vampire. Twist. Oh, no. Bye. That crazy show at the, the King's Theater... My brother, my brother and me doing a podcast on a card table on this huge stage in front of like 3,000 plus people. I'm uh-huh. never going to forget the image of John Hodgman eating hummus with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> part of the show? Or that was- nope. That was in the back backstage while uh, when everybody ran over to see Still Buffering go on, he used that opportunity <laughs> to go raid the hummus table. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.